Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about the ethical color pie from Magic the Gathering. And basically we're using this as an ethical system uh, as a way to analyze all the different heroes and villains we love and see where do they fit. All this and more after a quick commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. Um, and joining me today uh, are two of my f- uh, good friends who are fellow judges with me in the Magic the Gathering program. Um, I mentioned this before that it's uh, one thing I, I, I was doing. We're obviously all on hold right now. Um, but I'm really excited to have both of them on because we're going to be talking today about the ethical system that the game uses to kind of classify um, different kinds of magic and different kinds of perspectives. It's really a lot more than just an ethical system. Uh, as we'll talk about in a second, it's a way of really just kind of seeing the world and using that as a way to kind of look at all the heroes we talk about and love. So whether you're a longtime player of the game or someone who has no idea what we're talking about, uh, we're going to have a, a lot for you to listen to, I think, today and, and, and a way to get, get into all this topic. Um, so with that, let me just start by uh, introducing both my guests. Uh, first is Meg Baum. Meg, how are we doing tonight? Hi, I'm good. Uh, I'm excited. I've never recorded a podcast before, so this is a new thing for me. So we'll see how this goes. Cool. Uh, adventure time. That that means I think that the timeline for when you will start your own podcast is about three to five months, but uh, we'll <laughs> see. Uh, depends if you can hit, miss your saving throw. Uh, and Rob, how, you've been a guest here a couple times before. How are we doing tonight? Uh, doing great. I'm glad to be back. I guest on a lot of random podcasts, so <laughs> I <laughs> you might have caught me on the Geek Bracket or on Good Luck High Five, and so I... I wander around and I, I talk a lot because I like the sound of my own voice and I like watching it appear on the waveform while I'm talking on, on the podcast. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. Um, so and let's 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 introduce the topic. As I said, we're talking tonight about the color pie from Magic: The Gathering. Um, either one of you jump in. I kind of started a little bit, but but how would you explain the color pie to someone who has never played the game of Magic, especially in terms of what we're talking about tonight? Uh, so. Well, I'm I'm gonna go first, and you can you can totally step in and step on me, Meg. Okay. So the the color pie is two systems that are aligned with each other. It's a system of types of magic. So you'd have like when you when you look at you know the traditional classical elements: fire, air, earth, and water. Uh, magic has has things like that. It has fire magic aligned one way. It has law magic aligned another way. It has water magic aligned one way. And it's also a philosophical system. Um, so fire magic is passionate and water magic is more thoughtful and it's it's these two systems stacked on top of each other so you get both a what do things do and what do things think about as a as a coherent system within the game there's also classical things that different colors do both in the terms of like mechanics within the actual game of magic there's things that are normal things that a color would do but also in just in general like type of themes of something so like rob was talking about with like the types of magic so like often you'll see like yes black black magic has like that necromancy bringing back zombies type of thing but also in magic like zombies are also commonly a blue thing actually which i think is interesting right yeah because there it's the idea that that zombies can be necromancy or they can be scientific creations and blue can be more science yeah yeah um and I think one of the things that I really like about this, I know we're definitely going to talk about today, is it really, I think part of where this whole podcast came from is, Rob, I don't know if you were part of this, but at a particular event Meg and I were at, 
Uh, it was late in the evening of a staff party. A, a few beverages had been consumed by it's a number Toronto. four present. <laughs> Toronto, thank you. I played um, in that tournament. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we would have let, wouldn't have let you into the staff party then. Um, oh, no, we, I crashed that staff party I know, too, I know. But... <laughs> um, and so we were talking about the idea of like, okay, which different heroes and stuff. We, actually, it actually got started. We were talking about the Dungeons and Dragons alignment system. And... We were talking about like sort of how each of us would fit into various categories and how different heroes and people we knew would fit into categories. And one thing that conversation led to was the idea that the color pie, unlike a lot of things like alignment and stuff like that, really goes deep on the idea that any particular philosophy or background isn't necessarily good or evil and that they can be, you know, each any philosophy can lead you in any ethical direction. Um, and it's, I think, a thing we're going to be talking about a lot today, but the idea that... Um, you know, if you first take a look at the game, you might think like, well, kind of like, you know, white is the color of law and order and, you know, red is the color of uh, kind of fire and passion and green is the color of big monsters. So we kind of know who's the good guys and the bad guys. But as you really dive into the system, one thing I love about it is that each of these philosophies can be very good or can be very bad. And understanding that balance, I think, is a key part of understanding all of it. And I think that's part of what makes magic so successful as a game is that because all of the colors, all of the different sort of systems of philosophy and different ways of doing things, both because of the nature of magic, it being on a whole bunch of different planes of existence, that's a lot of creative playroom, a lot of creative sandboxes to play in, but it, it also makes it really relatable because when you look at something as either black or white, good or bad, that feels very comic booky. it feels very video game, like, oh, I know who the baddies are. But that's not what real life is like, so it's not as relatable. And that's right. something that magic is really good at, because each of the colors has its good and has its bad. So just like we do, we see that in ourselves and we see it in a game that we like. Right. Yeah. And I would argue that the what the color buy system has is it's actually a set of philosophies that's orthogonal to good and evil. It's at right angles to it. So there's an extra mm. axis. You could call it heroic to villainous, right? Uh, you can you can very easily conceive of people who have the same motives, the same uh, method of looking at the world, and one is a villain and one is a hero, right? Right. And when you when you look at that, magic is very very good at saying, no, these are the things that they care about. They care about you know nature. Well, that could make them you know uh, that could make them a Greenpeace you know advocate that tries to save the whales, or it could make them an eco terrorist, yeah. right? Could make them poison ivy. Right, yeah. exactly. I'm trying to avoid actual characters during the during the setup so that I could just That's talk fair. about like, uh, <laughs> but I exactly, exactly. Like there, there's there's lots of examples of like there are people that are like Aquaman is is a you know he's an animal driven nature driven person. He's pretty aligned with the world. He's probably green amongst other things, but Poison Ivy is also green. Yeah. Similar philosophies. One is heroic and one is villainous. There's this axis that is independent. And of, it, the, and, of the worldview. And that's kind of exactly why I wanted this topic on this show, because, you know, so much of the point of this show is really digging into what what is a heroic action and what is villainous and how, just how much gray area is there between those ideas and, and how all the different characters and stories that, that geeks tend to love fall into all these different things. So we're going to tell you about the different colors um, and, and kind of set up some discussions about, like, what those different philosophies mean. But then I think we're going to really have fun... Um, Diving into, like, you know, where do some of our favorite characters from um, 
a number of different genres, but I know especially we're going to talk today about um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avatar The Last Airbender, and um, the Star Wars universes. So um, we'll probably have spoilers for all three of those, um, as well as if other ones we come up with, we'll give a quick spoiler warning. You can skip ahead 30 seconds. Um, so with that, let's, let's talk about um, each of these different ones in turn. Um, and Meg, I think you're going to start us off. Tell us a little bit about Blue. What is the, the philosophy of Blue in the magic world? Alright, so first off, I would like to point out that it does bother me a little bit that we're not going in Wooberg order, but it's neither here nor there. (laughs) Alright, so blue magic. Blue magic in the world of magic, magic with a capital M, is mind magic. It's things like water and flying. It's about all the things that have to do with your intellect, with the way in which your mind interacts with the world around you. It manifests in things like mind control. It manifests in things like putting other creatures to sleep. It manifests in water, in ice. It manifests in game mechanics-wise, things like counterspells. In regards to our topic, in regards to ethics, uh, when we're talking about things that are blue-aligned, we're focusing on things that are very logical on things that approach in a very intellectual way. Um, sometimes uh, the pitfalls of blue can be things like, for example, like being very sterile in an approach, a very Spock-like approach, you know. Uh, things in blue can also include... Um... Can, I, can I poke in with one? Yes, please do. A blue is the color of self-improvement. Uh, and it believes that it can always fix itself and make itself better. And so if your hand is bad, cut it off and so on a better one, which is... I would I would almost argue that blue is not necessarily self-improvement. It's self-change. Yeah. But I can agree with that. It, yeah. it believes that, that it can, that people, individuals can and should learn and evolve and grow. And right. th- that's the way that they can be better, right? It's very much nurtured over nature. Yes. In that regard. And, right, because and, and nature they... can be changed. Right, and learning and education and growth and all that. That makes good sense. Yes, and so so at its best, I think, um, blue... How, how would you describe sort of uh, blue at its best and at its worst? Blue at its best is the pursuit of knowledge. Blue at its best is the accumulation of all the knowledge in the world to make sure that everybody has that knowledge. Blue at its best is solving a puzzle and that feeling that you get when you solve it, when you finally crack that code. Blue is the feeling when you finally master a skill that you've been learning for a while just for the feeling of mastering it. Um, that's blue at its best. Anybody else have anything to add for blue at its best? I, I agree with all of that. Blue, yeah. blue when, when it does does what it wants to do just just wants to to know and personally grow and it doesn't care about affecting anybody else just it right so blue at its worst is as i was saying before sterile approaching things from purely logic point of view improving things not necessarily for the best in the sense of best as in it's going to improve itself but as in best as in some sort of possibly higher code type of thing not in a like law type of way but in a like oh this is the obvious next logical step of this plan uh blue at its worst is tearing apart things to build them back together in a way that makes more sense uh because you thought it might be regardless of the effect you might have on others it's that self-improvement but it negatively affecting others right yeah i I think that's a very good way of putting it i 
one thing that comes to my mind, and one of you two would agree with this, is that blue is, is in some ways, I think, the color of being not moral or immoral, but amoral. Of just kind of thinking of like, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, there's a character, I don't know if you've seen the show, Shira. Um, this isn't really a spoiler, it's just a general character idea. But she's, she's incredibly smart. She loves science. She loves study. And throughout the course of the show, she at various points, you know, depending on who will give her the most chance to study and to learn things, works for either you know, the most good of good characters or the most evil of terrible characters. Because I think at one point she says, like, I just am so interested in the science, I don't really pay attention to the good or the bad of it. Um, Does that strike you as a fair, like, that kind of idea of amorality, of just not thinking of morality, kind of fit into that blue at its worst? Yes. Um, Amorality also applies to another color as well, which we'll talk about in a bit. Right. But uh, blue, yeah. Blue is like, I have no truck with morality. I, I I only care about science. alternatively i think that blue also um can very strongly have a morality it's just one based on logic it's the most logical thing to do is the most moral thing to do because it's the most logical thing to do right right it's like the the only way that i can possibly be the fairest is by being logical therefore that's the right thing to do right right blue is the color of utilitarianism the, yes. the greatest good for the greatest number, regardless of who suffers for it. Those who walk away from homeless. Uh, the, a no blue character would ever walk away from homeless. You only have yeah. to torture <laughs> one child to make a utopia. That's <laughs> what kind of what kind of balance is that? It's perfectly logical. Yeah, um, yeah I like to make the example you brought up of, of Spock from Star Trek. I think he's a great example of blue and that idea of the, you know, his concept of the good of the many should always outweigh the good of the one and being almost baffled when, when many would put themselves at risk for him. So exactly. actually, uh, no pun, I guess. Well, maybe pun intended. Uh, my perfect example of a a a mono blue character is uh, Doctor Manhattan. Yes. Yeah. Like he is great pure example. logic because he understands everything at all points in time simultaneously. He already knows how everything's happening. Morality doesn't exist to him because right or wrong is irrelevant he already knows like right or wrong when you already know perfect consequence doesn't affect you the same way so i think that he is a mono blue character in this sense and also in the sense that this dude also quite literally glows blue (laughs) yes (laughs) good point and um the the villainous example of a super powerful mono blue character is brainiac from the dc universe yeah uh all he wants to do is gather information. He does it destructively, but that's when you when you when you look at say the DC animated universe, which is my favorite DC universe. Uh, he gets together with Lex Luthor to build a machine that can upload the entire information of the Earth at once. That's that's arguably like if it didn't destroy the Earth, if it just copied it, that would be noble. It's saving lives. Your life is preserved forever in Brainiac. But he destroys it to do it, and that's the villainous access. He doesn't care who who is hurt by what he does. He doesn't care that the knowledge destroys others. He just wants all of the knowledge. And, and I think you also are there are getting to what I think is another really important part of blue at its worst, and it's what I kind of sometimes refer to as intellectual fascism. And it, it's the idea of, I know that I am incredibly intelligent, and I know what is best not only for me, but I know what is best for you. And if I know something will have a very good outcome for you, it's okay for me to do it, even though I give you no choice and I might even force you to do it, because I know that this is best for all. 
Um, I, and I think I, that's sorry. Go ahead. I was say I think that's something you see, and that's probably blue mixed with a couple of other things. But I think that is actually something I think you see a lot of times from from supervillains in a lot of the stories we we, we look at. I think um, a really and to me that's very blue. I think a really good example of what you're talking about is uh, in a couple of different uh, aspects. Actually, when we're talking about blue, especially in terms of magic, is Ultron. Right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think Ultron is a really good example, both of this kind of utilitarian type of, oh, for the greater good, obviously I must do X thing, even though its immediate consequences great harm. In the big picture, it causes great good when you break it down into something, say, raw numbers. Right. Right. Uh, and it also, I think, in Ultron has reflected another aspect of the of blue at its worst, um, whereas. Blue, especially in magic, is very much a mind magic type of thing. Um, so in blue, you also see different things, type of like psychological attacks being a type of mechanic within magic. Um, mm-hmm. So I think another aspect it, by that within blue is also the ability to be very manipulative. Um, right. Using your intellect as a weapon. Um, and that's an example of blue at its worst, whereas... In Ultron, you both see a sort of... So, for example, um, Ultron in the comic books has dissociative identity disorder. And uh, a lot of the personalities when speaking to each other are very manipulative with logic. um, Where they're trying to convince each other what the quote-unquote correct thing to do is. Um, And by using that kind of manipulative logic, I think it's a very good example of blue like that. um, In a pure intellect type of this is the correct thing to do because it is the logical thing to do right yeah that, that kind of almost gaslighting that can happen exactly um, very yeah blue. and when you look back at vulcans um the spock's father sarek if you follow the original series at all is <laughs> is a blue villain in oh, a yeah. lot of the episodes yeah. right and so he he knows what's best for Spock. He knows what Spock needs to learn what he needs to know what things would make Spock's mind and thus Spock better and yeah. he will do those things, and he will force Spock to learn those things, regardless of what Spock wants or what anybody else wants for Spock, right? Yeah. Well, it's and... also a very good example of one of the traps that a blue, a very mono-blue type of mind, very mono-blue type of outlook, ethics type of moral code can fall into, where it's like the, I am so convinced that my logic is infallible that I know exactly what I am doing. I am causing harm because I am so convinced I am right. I cannot have any sort of fault here. Yeah. You're not open to being debated. You're not open to seeing another people's perspective because you just know best. I am. Um, My logic is infallible. And I think think Ultron's actually a great example because we're probably going to talk more about him uh, in a little bit. But Tony Stark um, is, I think, a character who has a number of different characters in him. But it it is a large amount, the aspect of him that is blue and his idea of, I know what's best for the world, so I'm going to go ahead and do it even though I'm convinced that, you know, he, he kind of gets Bruce Banner to work with him on secret on this because he's convinced that, um, you know, uh, uh, Captain America and others would try and talk him out of it. But right. as you, you're just saying, he knows best, his logic is right. And so it makes a lot of sense, I think, that the a person acting in his most blue self would create a blue supervillain in that right. regard. And, it, like, out of the original Avengers crew, Bruce Banner is purely blue. He has no other colors, nothing else. The Hulk is another color we'll talk about later. But right. so... uh, Br- Bruce Banner, as a as a hero and as the heroic ar- archetype, is the scientist who learned something that man wasn't supposed to know, and it's given him a terrible power that he doesn't want. 
right? Right. So and, I, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's that's the entirety of Bruce Banner's character is there's he never makes a decision other than the smart one, the the insular one, the self improvement one, right? Right. So. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I think that this is actually a really good example of an interesting thing about um, heroes that um, are have aspects of many colors in them, but have a strong blue aspect. Um, you see this kind of trope where you often see a hero who has a strong blue aspect to them accidentally creates a supervillain who's almost mono-blue. Because they think that the issue within themselves is the fact that they have a color other than blue. Yes. Um, yeah. They're trying to purge that sort of feeling or that sort of something that isn't logic from themselves. And in doing so, they have done exactly that. They have created that mono blue version of themselves, and it's not a good thing. The right. exception to this trope is actually the Hulk. It's Bruce Banner, where Bruce Banner... Is mm-hmm. as you say, very much a mono blue person, but he's the quote unquote good half of that equation. Whereas the Hulk, as you said, is a color that we'll talk about later, and it may or may not be green. <laughs> I I disagree with that. I think the Hulk is red, but oh no, that's we'll... why it's funny. It's because it's not yes. green. Okay, yeah. fair. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of in the same way that we like aqu- like blue is also all about the water, and as you said, Aquaman's actually probably more green than blue because it's more about the, right. the philosophy than the the elements, but. Yeah, he's uh, let's, very green blue in that same way that that one Nissa was. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's uh let's move on to white. Uh Rob, tell us about the philosophy of uh the color white. Right. So white as a as a color is the color of order. It's the law and order color and it's the color of group over individual. So when oh, any time that a white character is faced with a moral choice, they will always choose the thing that favors the group regardless of whether or not it it is good or bad for them. They are the the social order. They are the they are in favor of of organized things, right? If you if any collective action group that that follows structure and order, the Roberts rules of order for speech is all the things that white does. White's the color of the military, uh, hierarchical order, top to bottom. You always know right. your place in a fully hierarchical structure, right? And that's what white wants. Uh, at white's best, it is these collective action societies. It is people that sacrifice for the greater good. It is, it is uh, positive martyrs, right? People who who tank man, uh, who who wants to sacrifice himself for this other group by putting himself in front of a threat, right? And they they do these things to to improve the lives of everyone around them, even if it's a sacrifice for themselves. Oftentimes it helps them as well, but right. they, they don't care about that. That's not their, their motivation underneath. Uh, at its worst, white is fascism. Uh, white is the ideology of no one can be different from each other. Uh, white is the color that traps you in customs for nine hours for no reason <laughs> and lets you off with no explanation. Right. Yeah. White is uh, that utopia where it's like, oh yeah, there is nothing wrong here. Everyone knows exactly where they should be at all points in time. Right, Jared? Like right. <laughs> that's, it. Exactly. that's what's going on there. Exactly. They white white, if it had its way, would be both amazing and terrible because everyone would be fed, everyone would be clothed, everyone would be housed. And they um, would like it. <laughs> they would they would yeah well they, white doesn't care whether or not you like it white isn't about <laughs> like it's about needs 
right? That's all White really fundamentally cares about is uh, serving the group's functional needs, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it, especially because um, we're going to talk today mostly about the monocolors, the colors by themselves. But one of the things that gets so powerful about the color system is that there, it's really built in the idea that each color brings out other things in the other when they're paired up. And and here, so I'm just thinking about we just talked about how blue can have this idea of like uber logical. I know what is best and white can be all about like order and law and doing what's best. You can understand how white and blue coming together can often be heroic, like let's work to build a perfect society or it can be very fascistic and very law and order and that kind of, of you know, we know what's right. We're going to tell you what's right and we're going to use the military or whatever to enforce what it all is. Right. So the other aspect of white is that it's not just um, your classical, like, oh, utilitarian type of needs, that type of thing. White is about following a set of instructions, a set of orders, a mm-hmm. set of beliefs. Um, it doesn't actually particularly matter what those beliefs are. They can be utterly insane to us. They can be, you know, off the walls. They could be, you know, you know, we cannot wear pink on Tuesdays and, like, no, seriously. So it's like there's that episode of Star Trek, right, where they land on, like, the perfect pleasure planet and everybody's, like, running around in the glittery unitards and it's all perfect paradise. But then Wesley, because he can't do anything right, um, falls, falls into, into a flower, a patch. flower yep. bed and the sentence is death. Because that's what they do. Is It's like nobody breaks any rules because at any given point in time, your section could have rules and if you're in the section where rules are enforced it doesn't matter what rule you broke you die and that's yeah. just how it works and that is right. like the most mono white thing i've ever heard <laughs> right i think it's so true right because white is the color that cares about social hierarchy and it doesn't care about if you like i said it doesn't care if you like it so if you have a skill and you're good at something, it doesn't matter whether or not you like whether or not you're good at that skill, right? If I was the best basketball player in the world, but I friggin' hated playing the game, but it made 100,000 other people happy to watch me, White is going to say, do the thing that you are best suited for. We don't care, right? Right. And uh, don't follow your dreams, don't follow your heart, follow your skills, and follow the thing that makes it better for everybody else. And... So when your when your parents tell you, you know, you know, don't don't become a don't become an author, don't, you know, go in for, you know, don't take this feminism class, whatever. Uh, instead, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn a trade and you're going to be a plumber. Uh, you happen to be randomly good at plumbing. OK, great. That no, lined up, Meg, but you, you still can't hate go it. Get a psychology degree. You have to do nuclear engineering. <laughs> right. I, I mean, just as a the, random example. It's <laughs> just random example. As a random example, uh, <laughs> a good example from non-superhero stuff is uh, is uh, Fiddler on the Roof, right? Mm, the yeah. and the arranged marriages. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof is fundamentally a tension between people wanting to do what they love and people wanting to do what they or people who are being pushed to do what they should. Right. I mean, the opening marks. song, Tradition. Like, right, and Tradition. The of history like right. that. It's very Exactly. White. What is the color of tradition? And so the, that tension of, you know, do the thing that you should do. Do this arranged marriage. We all did it, and it turned out fine for all of us, right? Uh, look, the, the whole everything works because of tradition. We keep unity and cohesiveness as a group because of tradition. That's white. That's what so it I, does. I think it's pretty easy to get 
uh, into the negative of white, and there certainly is a lot, but let, let, let's turn so, to the positive for a second. Who are some heroes you think of that fall easily into white? Captain America. Yeah. Captain yeah. America is mono, white, almost, like, so realistically, uh, he does have little splashes of other colors in there, but, like, he is so mono white, because he knows what is good, <laughs> and the best example of that is actually Civil War. Yes, because in he both doesn't the go. And the, yeah, exactly. He doesn't go with what the quote unquote rules are. He goes with what the correct thing to do is, and that's white holding up the belief of what is right, what is good, and what you should be doing. Right. Yep. And I think that's an important part of white is that it's it is about law, it is about sort of you know rules, but that it can also be about like you know the government can be wrong if it's not following my understanding of of the rules of good good and evil and all that kind of thing. Um. And I, I also think for, for Captain America, the other very important part is, is that team building idea. It's the idea that we can all do this together. And I mean, you know, he's, he's literally the Avengers Assemble guy. And right. so much of his idea is, you know, each one of us has a different skill. You know, you can move things with your mind. You know, you can get very small or very big. Uh, Tony Stark, you can, you know, be annoying and say crazy things. Uh, you can whatever. solve the puzzles, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and Captain America, I think, is a great example of that. Like, let's build the team, as as well as I think also. Um, do you think hope? It's fair to say that hope is a is a white aspect. The idea of like, you know, Captain America is like, there's always going to be a way to find the right thing to do. Is that so, something you think of as white? So I have mixed feelings about hope specifically because I don't necessarily view hope as a positive thing. Mm, that's fair. I I would argue that there's different kinds of hope. That each color has its own own type of hope. That they hope is aspirational, right? Right. And so, like, when we talked about blue, blue is the hope that you can be better tomorrow than you are today. That you can yeah. learn more tomorrow than you know today. That's blue's hope, right? And white's hope is the hope that things can be better for us as an aggregate group in the future. It might be bad for me now. In 10 years, I might be dead, but it'll be better for everybody in 10 years, right? That's the right. white's, you know, traditional group hope, right? Yeah. Who, who, so we talked about uh, heroes. We'll talk more in a few. Who's a villain you think that is pure white? Ozymandias. Yeah. yeah. That's one, that's that's one we'll debate, one. I think, somewhat. Oh. Uh, but yeah, what? Why would you say Ozymandias is white? Uh, so his his take is organized structure, right? For he anyone who doesn't it... know, uh, that is a character from The Watchmen, and if you yes. have not yet consumed The Watchmen, this is absolutely a spoiler. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he is a villain is a spoiler. My bad. <laughs> um, I, I think spoiler sorry, I caught things that, that have been out for depending on your definition, five, ten, or twenty years are, are quite acceptable. But go ahead. Yeah. So he works within an organized structure. He builds an entire organization to put forward his plan. He has a, a logical organized plan, which is pretty blue, but his goal is not for himself. It's very likely at some point that somebody's going to show up and kill him. And he's actually kind of okay with that. Right. Um, he, what he's doing isn't for himself at all. He doesn't get any value at all from his big plot. His big plot is 100% about stopping a world war. Right. He's trying to save the maximal number of lives possible, right? And See, and let's yeah. explain a little bit that what what he does for anyone who's not seen the show. And again, skip ahead if you don't want spoiler warnings. Or the yeah. comic. you know it, it it's um, from the comic as well as from the movie. Um, although it's also referenced in the new TV show. His idea is that we're in the middle of the Cold War. He's very worried we're going to go to war, but that if both the United States and Russia thought that there was a bigger enemy out there 
that they would unite against the enemy and wouldn't destroy each other. So in the comics, he basically fakes an alien invasion. Um, and in the movie, he makes it seem like Dr. Manhattan has gone crazy. But in both cases, literally millions of people die because in his his med, he, he, he does that the math, literally, of millions of people dying to prevent billions. billions of people dying yeah. and the entire world dying is better. Um, and that's why I think I, I, I would push back there a little because to me, he's very blue. To me, he's very much in that... I am the most intelligent because he clearly is. He's supposed to be the smartest man in the world, um, or, or at least one of them. Um, I think that I think that he's very white in his reasons for what he is doing, and very blue in his methods for doing in doing it. Yep, right. I, that I makes would sense. Agree yeah, with that. I, you can see him as a very good example of those two. Um. So yeah, one other person I would put as a as a mono white villain. Um. I think is uh, I'm, I'm curious. We'll agree with this. Um. From book five, uh, Dolores Umbridge. In the Harry Potter world. Um, and I'm yeah. going to say a quick aside, like, mm-hmm. the Harry Potter world are great stories that I think that have still shaped me and shaped others. Uh, we've talked at other points about problematic favorites. Uh, more recently, we've heard even more about just what a terrible person J.K. Rowling can be in some ways. So I want to kind of name that before we get into Harry Potter. But that her characters, I think, are very well known and, and, and really, I think, fitting for Describe Here. She but, can go right in the bin next to Orson Scott Card, and exactly. I will continue to enjoy the novel and go, how did somebody like you write somebody like that? Yeah, the and, death of the author is super true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but so, yeah, I think to me, especially in book five, Dolores Umbridge, she's very much about order. She's very much about the idea of the fear that if people think that uh, Voldemort is back, if people think that Harry Potter is telling the truth, that things are going to crumble. And I think she's deeply selfish, and especially by book well, seven, we see even more than that. But she seems at least to really still I, – I think she believes that she's doing the right thing because she I, thinks, like, things will fall apart if she doesn't. I actually completely agree with you, but for a way different reason. Because I think it's fairly well established within Harry Potter that Dolores Umbridge is actually very well aware – of Voldemort and all of his activities, etc., and what's going on. And I think that she's a very good illustration of another aspect of white, which is mono-white villains who specifically use the system as their tool of abuse, as mm-hmm. they specifically use the system to be weaponized, and that's what Dolores Umbridge is good at. Mm, because, that. like, that was her thing, is it's like, okay... We have to go in and destabilize the government. Okay, so we have these, like, super bad guys going in and biting babies and turning people into werewolves, whatever, who knows. But we also have Dolores Umbridge, who sneaks into a school and starts making little, like, you know, Slytherin Hitler youth baby things going on, right? Like, it's this other aspect. You think she's working for Voldemort all along? Oh, 100%. She's just the way it used the system. That's her weapon. Interesting. The system would, would is you, her weapon. Would you say then that Cornelius Fudge is more the kind of person I described? I think he's just an idiot. Well, also true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think he's like a villain at all. I think he's a bystander. Not innocent, yeah. just kind of there. Yeah. Um, um, but I mean, but I mean that idea of like wanting to, ho- like, I think people, like, in theory, you know, why do we create society? We create society because in theory they will make our lives better. So I and think, I, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, and I, I think, to me, what's what white is sometimes is where you sort of forget that the society and the rules and the law are not supposed to be an end unto themselves. They're supposed to be to get us to a particular goal, and when you start seeing them as just no, we have to protect the state, we have to protect order, we have to protect the ministry, 
without asking why, to me, that's very white. I think a, a very good example of this is an aspect of the Fire Nation from Avatar. Uh, mm. A lot of us are watching Avatar for the first time on Netflix, maybe with our kids, something like that. So I will say that this is a spoiler if somehow you have not consumed the glory that is Avatar The Last Airbender yet. Um, so That's the Fire Nation. Me. I'm excited to watch it, but yeah, is this okay, Rob? Do you care? Oh no, go go ahead. Okay, Spoil cool. Away, please. Uh, so aspects of the Fire Nation they're very militaristic, obviously, and it's very easy to think of the Fire Nation as very red, right? Just automatically. But a thing about the Fire Nation is, especially in the episodes where you see things like Azula and Zuko's past, they're the prince and princess of the Fire Nation. A lot of the things having to do with, uh, I have to regain my honor, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, tradition is very, very important in the Fire Nation. Yeah. And a lot of the last, the last book, the last season of, cause it's divided into books, quote unquote, instead of seasons, um, where Aang is starting to learn firebending, which is the last one that he needs to fully actualize as the Avatar. Uh, and it's actually the hardest for him to do so, cause it's the most, uh, opposite to his, nature as a person um is a lot learning about what's going on in the fire nation because they have to travel through the fire nation and they're learning a lot of, like ang actually goes to a fire nation school right. and these kids are taking a, a history lesson and he's like oh and the air nation armies attacked us and this that and the other thing and ang's like what what armies what are you talking about we were a bunch of monks that's insane and they're like well, this is what we've been taught. Then what are you talking about? This is for the glory of the Fire Nation. And that's what they're teaching kids, right? That's a mono-white villain, right? The system. It's it's when the yeah. system is a weapon and you're using it as a way to cause harm, right? right. That is yeah. a mono-white thing. Yeah. And that's a huge aspect of how the Fire Nation is so successful as this driving factor. Because as the third season actually progresses you see that there are people starting to realize that what they've been told isn't the truth. Yep. That they know the system is starting to break down, the weapon's starting to become less effective, and that's part of how they overturn the Fire Nation, is because that's the secret. The way White uses a weapon like that when it turns the system itself into a weapon, the first time that system stops working is when it starts to crumble in, into itself. You know, Right. right. Because the whole thing is based on the idea that no one should ever ask questions because exactly. once they do ask questions, they'll, they'll, they'll start to see the facade for what it is. Um, I will also say a quick thing. Um, by the time this episode airs, uh, there's another episode that I've already recorded, but it's going to go up. Uh, uh, it will be up by the, t by the time this episode this episode goes up, specifically about the ethics of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, specifically focusing on uh, an ethical issue that is really raised in season two in terms of issues of denial of uh, the bad things that are happening. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely worth checking out. Um, um, uh, so yeah, with that, why don't we turn to uh, Black. Meg, tell us about the... Uh, and again, <laughs> I, I'm almost... As we're recording this, is right in the midst of um, uh, the actions that are happening after the murder of George Floyd and, and the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter movement and all that. And, I, and I've always been a little conscious of it, but I'm a little more conscious about it today that in terms of talking about, like, the good and evil of white and black and other colors. Uh, so to be very clear, we're talking about it as a, a color in the ethical system. Um, one thing I like about magic is that people of literally all races and colors fall into all of these things. So just want to be very clear we're not in any way connecting those two ideas of color. Um, with that, uh, Meg, tell us about black. All right. Uh, so black is very much a color of ambition. 
black is all about improvement and making things better. That it's very inward focused. It's about being very cutthroat. It's about being very uh, focused on the self. Uh, this comes across as very selfish. This comes across as being very greedy a lot of the times. Uh, when you're talking about like magic type of wise, you're talking about things like necromancy, bringing back the dead, zombies, lifeless stealing magic. Uh, you're talking about rot, decay, disease, those type of things. Um, in mechanics-wise, you're bringing stuff back from the graveyard. You're using things as utility. A lot of the times in the lore of magic, there are kind of two aspects to uh, to black as kind of like a color or as a concept within it, where it's like uh, there's the death kind of aspect, the bad, the like decrepit, rot kind of bad kind of magic. And then also the other side of the coin of the there's beauty within death, there's beauty within rot, where it's like, oh, yes, you, the, you know, there, this lion ate this gazelle, but, like, that lion was gonna die if it didn't eat the gazelle, so what exactly did you want it to do, right? right. Like, <laughs> uh, so black is very much about that, like, inward focus on the self in an eth- ethics type of way, as well as a very... Not cutthroat, I wouldn't, isn't really the right term here, but more of like a, seeing the world in like a black and white type of thought process, Mm -hmm. where it's like, well, this is an action, and there is a consequence to that action, and you knew that when you started, so what exactly do you want? Can can I poke in with something? Please do. Please Yeah. So black is also black is the color of deals. Black is the color of contracts. Uh, we both get what we want, right? Uh, you pay me, I give you this apple. You you get the apple, I get the money, and we both win, right? Equivalent exchange. Yes, it's the color of currency. It's the color of capitalism. Uh, mm-hmm. It it believes in these concepts. The the, the concept of if everybody looks out for themselves because. That and everybody is willing to make deals with other people to help them look out for themselves, then we'll be all we'll be fine, right? Because right? that's I think one of the most important part. It's not necessarily that it's obsessed with a fair deal. It's very much a you know let the buyer beware kind of idea of I try to fight for my best deal and you try to fight for your best deal. And in that regard, if we're both doing our good job, we'll wind up with something fair. But right. if I wind up screwing you because I do my I do the work and research, and you don't bother to find out that the land I want to sell you is garbage, well. You know, you didn't do the work. Right. Well, there's also... Oh, sorry. Yeah, because... Well, there's also the other aspect of black, which is black is also the aspect of there's, you know, honor amongst thieves. Like, there is, like, a code... Like, if you agree to a contract, you follow that contract. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the color of lawyers. Like, quite literally, demonic attorney is a card. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So it it is the color of quite literally like following every aspect of an agreed upon thing and i think that that is both a good and bad aspect of black it's often why uh in magic specifically and in general uh just as a concept the fae are are black creatures in in this type of way it's very like uh equivalent exchange in magic oftentimes you see fairies the high fae those type of uh creatures elves that kind of thing um 
black is very often a color within that kind of in magic they're referred to as tribes you have goblins elves fairies those type of things uh the fae are very often black because it is that kind of exchange type of thing and on ravnica uh one of the planes in magic one of the most commonly visited ones at this point i can say um the actual, they have guilds, that's a big thing there. Uh, one of the guilds is all, it's the bank. It's, they make deals, that's what they do. They're the lawyers, they mm-hmm. make money. They are the black and white guild. That's, right. <laughs> like, the definition of that. And the black part of that is that currency, is that exchange, is that contract. Right. Yeah, we, we talked before about how different colors can bring out bring out those things in each other, you know. White takes that honor among thieves and and says, why don't we make that official rules? And Black sort of says, let's take your idea of law and order, but not really care the morality of it. Or or not even let's care the ethics of it. Let's just make it, you know, if we can use law and order for our for our best. Um, Yeah, I I, the one thing I think I would add is that I think is important about Black is the idea of self-sacrifice, the idea of it's okay to hurt myself towards a larger goal. Um. In game terms, this often comes out as like, I'll get to do this really cool thing if I lose a couple points of, of my life or if I like sacrifice a creature in order to do a better thing. Um, and I think in philosophy wise, that can often come out of it's the idea of like, you know, if I cut off my hand to create it, blue says I'm going to cut off my hand to make something better. Black says I'm going to cut off my hand because it's part of this ritual that will create something really great. Um, I think I think it's very much a black Black looks at something and it says, you know, oh, I completely just lost my train of thought. I am so sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Do we want to move on to at its best and worst? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Black at its best um, is about self-improvement. It's about making yourself better, striving for the next thing. It's about reaching to be better. Uh, it's about improving things. And it is that aspect that we were talking about that no, here is the contract, here is it laid out, here is we have looked at it, and we have solved it, and we have defined it, and here's what's going on. And as I talked about before, there is also that aspect of sometimes there is beauty in death, in destruction, in rot, and in entropy uh, being a good thing, a necessary thing. Right. Um, and I think that that is something that is often overlooked a lot, and is very much exemplified in and we'll get to, I'll get to this a little bit in examples when we get there. Uh, in the New 52, you have Animal Man, and the quote-unquote main villain is the Black, the Rot. Uh, and there's this part where it explains where it's like, no, no, the Black, the Rot is not a bad guy. There's just an imbalance right now. Right. And I think that gets to a key point, is that Black is almost always perceived as the villain. Um, and that often Black is the person who is seen as the villain, but really actually has much more of a good heart, you know, or, or at least a, you know, Malcolm Reynolds to me is a perfect example of a black hero um, where someone like he is coming about for himself and he does have his own code, but he does have a code and he does have a belief in, you know, the good, you know, doing what he understands is the right thing. Right. And uh, I would also, I would contend that the, the best version of black might actually be Hades from Greek myth. Mm, yeah. Oh right? Yeah. He, he keeps the dead in. Um, he's not your friend. If you come down and make a deal with him, though, he will hold you to the terms of that deal. And that's he he's exactly the, the character of Black. He's not evil. Hades is painted as the villain a lot, 
but which isn't fair, right? Because he does a good and useful service because he it gives him the power that he wants. He wants power over death. He thinks that it's a it's an he's, awesome thing to have, right? He's not even the god of the dead. He's the god of the underworld. The god yeah. of the dead is a completely different dude. Fair, like, okay, yeah, but so, like, like it, yeah, I'm not like I'm not talking about like the the animated Hercules movie Hades. That's no, 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 no. I, no, no, I, yeah. I'm. I'm yeah. talking about just Hades in general. He was when you think about all of the Greek gods, you think yeah. about like all oh, all of them were debauchery incarnate. They were like these caricatures <laughs> right. of what humans were. But the one exception is Hades. I actually was I was literally listening to the last Dresden book that came out today. Um, spoiler alert! Um, at one point, he's having a conversation with Hades. And he's like, no, out of all your siblings, you're the only one who isn't a jerk for no reason. And he's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> about that. Yeah. And he's 100. He's fair. Yes. That's black at its best. I completely agree with you. He's fair. Yes. And, and I love that you brought up, though, the, like, the, the Disney Hercules movie, which I couldn't watch the first time because I thought Hades was so wrong in it. But I, I think it's an important part here is that. Black is often looked as at the villain because a lot of times it, it's the it's the it's the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see, you know, like that we think ambition is always bad. We think the idea of like looking out for yourself is always bad, um, and those things are also can be very gendered or very like seen seen in different ways in different people. Uh, but I think a lot of black is like it, you know, we think of death as bad and wrong, and as you said, rot. But when we're really like that, those are just necessary parts of the cycle of life. Um, to use a fairly oh, obscure reference. Good. Yeah, to, to use a kind of obscure reference, but one Meg I know that you will get, and Rob, I don't know if you're introduced to this system, but in the uh, World of Darkness um, uh, mm-hmm. role-playing system, vampire and mage and all that, the worm is to me very much black. You know, it's the idea of this, that a part of the natural cycle is rot and decay, and sometimes speeding up rot and decay in order to figure out what's worth saving and what isn't, and, and to clear those things out is, is a necessary thing. So here's here's the thing. Black at its best is self-care. Self-care mm-hmm. is a mono-black trait. Yes, I'd agree with that. Self-care at its worst is selfishness. Or black at its right. worst is selfishness. Right? It's the, I have gone to the extreme lengths to focus on just me for my beneficiation, no matter what the cost. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about black at its worst. I, I like that idea that it's selfishness. And I, I think a lot of part of it also is that it's... um. Might makes right is a kind of part of it to me, although that's not quite accurate. It's more to me it's the idea of like, if something betters me, then any other action is it can be justified as long as it's for my does does for me what is good. Right, black is very much the color of the ends are ju- uh, the ends justify the means, no right. matter what. If yes. I got the result, then it doesn't matter how I got there. So, who are villains we would put in the the black category? Uh let's see here. Oh, there! I the big one is Lex Luthor. I would I would contend. Yeah, yeah. It, like he's basically mono black all the time. Mm-hmm. He's he's a billionaire businessman who's out for himself and nobody else, and will burn everything and everyone to get what he wants in every continuity. Right? Yeah, and, and I think he's a great example because, given what you said, someone might say, "Wait a minute!" But blue is the color of hyper intelligence, so doesn't that make Lex Luthor blue? And I think this is a good time of where like. Things like, you know, being the color of water, or the color of intelligence can be sort of the, the, the top level traits, but really it goes down to the heart of the philosophy. 
and you I can think... be someone who's incredibly intelligent and not blue and, and i think um lex is a great example of that i think again that's the difference between uh the color of the motivation of a villain and the color of the way in which a villain does their thing right that, that's a good uh, would you say that's just villains or do you think that's for any character it's for any character because like you're gonna see a lot of characters but especially villains who are very much motivated by one thing and the way in which they enact that motivation is intelligence um and that's just that's a thing because it's like oh how did this person gain superpowers oh he real smart and drank the sparkle liquid like yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) and uh there's probably three axes of this there's the the goal that they want, Lex Luthor's goal is black. There's the tools they use to get there. His tools are blue. And then there's the persona that they take on, right? Right. When you, when you look at Batman, he uh, he has relentless self-personal improvement as his goal. He's blue, right? Right. Uh, he has a white motive making the city better. And he has a black persona, right? Right. Uh, I think uh, yeah. the best example, even though this is like absolutely uh as a collective community we've forgotten this existed as a show uh a mono black villain is joffrey from uh game of thrones yeah that's really good i think that's a great he is just mono black he cares about literally nothing but himself to like the point of destroying a country literally Mm -hmm. yeah it's like he has the power he has that power. He doesn't think he doesn't feel like there's any restrictions on him. He might as well use it. Yep. Um, would you say Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the same? Is also black? Uh. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. I, I guess, yeah. To me, to me, Loki embodies the sort of way that like black can be both a villain and a hero, or at least a a you know in the moral grayness. Because sometimes, obviously, his morality is all over the place, but it always seems like his morality is you know. He is on Thor's side when he thinks it is best for him. And that can be because, like, he remind, it's nice having a brother and he wants to help his brother. But I, I guess that's where I see him as very much black. I think Loki is actually black in what he does and he thinks he's white. Yeah, that's, that's legit. <laughs> I, like, legitimately he think that he actually thinks he would be, like, the best king of Asgard. What he thinks is best. He, like... Because when you, I, so John and I, uh, one of my partners and I have been going through and watching the Marvel movies in chronological order and like rewatching Thor, uh, he like very legitimately is like, no, seriously, like this is the correct thing that we should be doing. And Thor is an idiot. Please let him die. Like, yeah, he's going to get all of us killed. <laughs> right. right. Well, I think because black, like when we're talking about bringing out the best of each other, black, the colors often can also see the worst in each other i think black sees the hypocrisy of white like black is very much about like order for order's sake is truly ridiculous and is just hypocritical in a way that black really loves to call out because that's very much the dynamic between white and black as opposites uh when you're talking about especially in actually just in general this is just kind of a general theme a lot of the time when you're talking about opposites um Black and white very much mirror each other, so it makes sense that black would constantly point out the hypocrisy of white, whereas white will constantly point out the, like, flaws and the justifications that black gives itself to justify its selfishness. Yeah. Right. And the the key thing is that there's a lot of times when 
black will will look at a white system and say you know your system's for the greater good except that everybody hates it right yeah and so i think that if we had a system where people got to make their own decisions looked up for themselves we might be a little bit better off and to me that's why i think of malcolm reynolds as very much a black hero you know because i think the alliance very much thinks it's for the best of all and he's really saying like no let people make their own choices even if that's sometimes you know the wrong choice um, as well as he, he to me very much has that honor among thieves that you were talking about with his whole like you know if I shoot you you'll know it and you'll be looking at me and you'll have a gun in your hand like to me I that's think, so emblematic of honor among thieves. I think a very like my favorite example of a almost mono black villain because in actuality I think very few people are mono anything. Yes. Yeah. Um. Very very rarely. Uh. I think a very good example of a majority black character is um. Johnny Marcone from the Dresden Files. Uh, there is a, a way in which he does things. There is a code in which he does things. You know it, you know exactly what you can expect from him. That is exactly what he is going to enforce. That is exactly what is going to happen. Yeah. And he will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and all of it is about him gathering more power, him gathering more everything. And overall, it's improved the collective good because he knows what's good for you. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, just kind of want to keep things moving. Uh, Rob, tell us about green. So green, uh, green is the color of nature, and it is that and that a lot, and some other complicated stuff. Uh, it, green is the color of this is good. You don't need to to fancy things up. Uh, fate is fine. You you've got a natural order. You've got fate. The lion eats the gazelle, the gazelle eats the grass, the lion dies and fertilizes the grass. That's what green wants. It wants uh, a big, robust system where everybody kind of knows their place and just does the thing that comes naturally to them. Uh, green is also the color of growth, but not growth in the like perfection sense. Growth in the, in the sense of becoming more of what you already are, right? The, 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 you know, the person who just... It does the thing that they do and improves and gets better at it. They like their position in the world. The lion who becomes a better hunter, the gazelle that becomes a better runner. Right. Uh, the And Green believes that the natural world is the best world, that you don't need to try to intellectually think things through. You don't need to try to uh, focus on, you know, your own wants and desires that, you know, do the thing that serves your personal purpose right now, that makes you individually right now happy that's part of the natural sense and you'll know what to do you don't it's it's not hard to figure out follow your 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 urges don't overthink it right right um if i may yeah another uh big aspect of green is it's very uh much about like the community very much mm -hmm. about the herd very much about the pride the pack very much about the collective um yes. so like uh, an example of like a just in general good bad period a hive mind is a very green thing mm, yes yeah i think it's very true and Indeed. to me it kind of it contrasts with white because like you know a human society needs laws and judges a wolf pack doesn't a wolf pack just is you know it's just like yes we all kind of just follow our instinct and that's the alpha and the alpha kind of tells us what to do and we go with it um and so it's an interesting take where it's like well both white and green have a real belief in in order in in community, but in very different ways. Right. The well, green... I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I, I was just going to say I think so. This is getting a little bit into those color pairs that we're going to 
save for a little bit later, but green and white are often a color pair, especially in magic. And I think that that is actually an aspect of it, uh, what I was talking about earlier, where white is just a belief in a system. It doesn't necessarily dictate what kind of system. And a natural order is a system, which right. is what makes uh, green-white combination such, it feels like such a, for lack of a better term, a natural one. Uh, because the natural order is a system. Right. Yep. And I think that also green kind of stands in that regard, kind of halfway between white and black, because, you know, as you were saying, Rob, it is about, it's about overthinking things. And so like, you're not necessarily going to like turn on the people in your pack, but you're also not, it's not like all about, you know, so it's not all about like hooray for me and, and fuck off everybody else, but it's also not, you know, let's, let's, Self, there's not a lot of self-sacrifice in green. It's more just about like we're all gonna do what we're gonna do. We're gonna try and help each other and try to help ourselves. Yep. And because green isn't about necessarily the the group is bigger than me or I'm bigger than the group. Green's just like who cares? We're all gonna do what we're gonna do, right? Yeah. Green and... is very much about acting according to your nature. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. Do what comes to you naturally. Do yep. you? Yep. And uh, if that. You know, it, when you look at a wolf pack, there's there's an alpha wolf, but there's places for all the other wolves, and they all get to do what they want to do. And if you think that the alpha wolf shouldn't be the alpha wolf anymore, there's a way to deal with that, right? Yeah. You fight the alpha wolf, become the alpha, right? The structure it's a little can bitey. change. What would you say, Meg? It's just a little bit bitey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but so what's green at its best? Uh, green at its best is the the people who strive to protect that which is natural and and full of order green it, green in the real world actually lines up with a lot of organizations like greenpeace that i mentioned before where what they want to do is protect the world as it is the world that's grown up around us that's super complicated that we don't even necessarily understand all of right right and green wants to as we mentioned it's everybody gets their own kind of thing green isn't going to get in your way if you want to if you want to do some self-improvement whatever as long as it doesn't hurt me do what comes natural to you right um everybody just kind of gets along by getting along there's no big plans in in a green world um green is is hippies in the in the good hippie sense they form a commune right and everybody does a little bit of the work everybody gets a little bit of the food we're not going to worry about money because we don't need it because you know we're going to help you raise this barn um and uh, that's the that's the very best is this community that doesn't judge you or try to make you be more or do anything it just is it's kind of there and kind of nice to be part of a group you know mm -hmm. yeah uh, green is everything it's Everything has its place and everything is in its place and it's happy being there and everything has a home and you should right. go to your home. <laughs> yep. And, and so where, where does green get to be at its worst? Uh, green at its worst is eco-terrorism. It's the natural world is the only right world. Destroy all right. artifice, tear it all down. You know, green at its, at its worst is medicine. Medicine's crap, right? Uh, vaccinations, just get the disease. Um, yeah. It's anti-knowledge, anti-science, anti-technology. Tear it all down. Go back to not even living in houses, right? Like, right. Uh, we, we, you know, man wasn't designed to to eat sugar all day and live in a plastic house. Uh, man was designed to be out under the stars. Well, that's um, that, that gets a lot of people. Man killed. was designed to have thirty percent of us die of exposure. It, uh -huh. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the problem, 
right? Yeah. Like I think like, like we we keep talking about the idea like the lion eats the gazelle, and I think for Green, Green is never going to care about the rights of the gazelle. You know, Green. There's a very much an idea of in Green, especially at its worst, of yeah, the strong rule, not even rule, yep. but in that kind of like the wolf pack idea of you know like the lion's going to eat the gazelle, and that's just how it is. And worrying about the gazelle or trying to protect the gazelle doesn't really make any sense, which, yeah. you know, can be obviously, you know, whatever you think of it in the natural world and for the gazelle. But when it's like, you know, the strong beat up on the weak in, in, in you know, more sentient societies, like that's obviously a much bigger problem. Right. They, so I think another aspect of green at its worst is also that sense of uh, everything in its place and everything is going to stay in its place. This is the natural order and you will not defy it. Mm-hmm. This is uh, green at its worst is, um, you know, oh, that's unnatural. You can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very much stuck. It's, it's, there, there is no sort of, there's the evolution of like natural evolution, but there's no sort of like progressing beyond the natural state. Right. When I, when I said green's the color of growth and becoming more of what you already are, that's green's problem as well. You can't ever really be more than what you are. You'll just be more of what you are, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you'll do that until you get a little weak and you get a little lame, and then the lion takes you out from the pack because, you know, the, the weakest gazelle's got to feed that lion, right? Right. Well, the other aspect I think of green at its worst is it is about that growth, and Growth isn't always necessarily good because you might be growing the bad parts of you as well or the bad yeah. parts of something as well. So like even, say, cancer is explosive cell growth, but it's very right. bad. Like that's not growth that you want. And that could be another aspect even ethically of what green um, in its growth is where it's like, oh, I focused too much on this aspect of self and growing and improving it that I hurt other things. Right. right. So, green green is the color of, you know, we go to Mars and we change Mars into more of Earth because we want more of the same. Well, yeah. if there was an ecosystem on Mars, it's not Green's problem. <laughs> we want more of the ecosystem that we have. We like this ecosystem. It's how we fit. We would so like the make... red to be green. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so who, who are some other uh, – who are characters you could see as easy slots in for Green, uh, for, uh, either as heroes or villains? Uh like the the easy one that you mentioned before is Poison Ivy, right? Right. Everything about her. She is mono green villain in every single conceivable way, right? Uh, she deals with plants, the thing that Green deals with. She believes in only the natural world. Um, she uses natural tools at her disposal, and she does not have any truck with people trying to destroy the natural world. If you burn down a forest, Poison Ivy will be there and kill your family. Uh <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. No, very much so. Very much so. And so, so she, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's that's pretty much what I had, is she's an eco-terrorist. So, interestingly enough, the first villain that comes to mind for Green to me um, is, like, the most polar opposite of Poison Ivy you could possibly get, because it's the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? So the Borg are all about, like, oh, no, 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 like... You will join us. You will join the collective. You will join your place and where this should be, and your parts will serve us better elsewhere. And constantly absorbing all those different parts of elsewhere, so they're growing and changing to create more of themselves. And the collective is what is correct, what is right. And to me, that is a very green thing. You right. know what I mean? It's a very, they're very green color scheme too. I'm like, I'm just saying. Yeah, I can even match. They're another great example because if you looked at them. 
like on the surface you'd immediately think oh they're blue you know or that they're all they're they're entirely white you know because they're all about like this rigid order and this idea of we know best and so we're going to decide for you but you're right at the heart what's really about is the collective and the idea of um kind of seeing the entire world as a collective the entire universe as a collective which just doesn't know it's a collective yet Um, right yeah so Mm -hmm. i i think the borg definitely work there uh, any others there? We're going to talk about some specifics in a, in a bit, but or well, should we jump to red? Well, well we got to get a mono green. Uh, well, uh, mono green hero. hero. Right? Oh yeah, right, right. Um, the there's the super obvious one from Marvel, which is Groot. Right. Like, <laughs> sure. Like a, a, every every decision that he makes is about the collective of the group over himself. Right. He doesn't pick any fights. If somebody else picks a fight, he finishes it. But he cares about the group that he's with, and he. He, he doesn't rock the boat in anything. He's just like, yeah, this is my team. I'm doing what the team does. Um, and we're, we're just going to be, be all about growth and getting better. And uh, or not not even getting better. Being, being more of Groot, right? right? So I think Groot is actually a really good example of a couple of different things in regards to green. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, he's literally a plant. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but he also actually illustrates something that we haven't touched on for a lot of these, which is a weakness. Uh, not necessarily a bad aspect, or at its worst, but a weakness of a color. Um, which is, for green, when you have something like a collective, like a hive mind, like a species like Groot's, um, if you have something like a disease, or something like some sort of uh, issue that affects the group and that can be transmitted between the individuals of the group, um, so Groot says, I am Groot like that because of a, a medical issue within his species. All of them have, have that, uh, oh, where okay. they have it as over time, they lose the ability to speak. This uh, is so comics? Groot, yes, uh, this was never in one of the movies. Um, uh, and this is me remembering a comic I read a very long time ago. So bear <laughs> with me for some inaccuracies here. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Groot actually keeps saying, I am Groot, because he was losing his ability to speak. He was losing his vocabulary, um, and he wanted to remember his name, which is why he kept repeating, I am Groot. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, which is why he says that. And actually, the reason Rocket can that... understand him uh, is because Rocket was actually designed to be a companion animal for people with uh, uh, some sort of medical disorder, and he can understand what Groot is saying because he was literally designed to be a companion animal. That's fantastic. Yeah, I can oh. see that. Movies do not have that level of continuity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that that is a very good illustration because that's something that is true of all of Groot's species. Um, they got affected by this uh, medical disorder and that is something that is just true of their species now because they are a collective. And it's something that happens a lot to plants in real life, right? Where you talk about like, oh this entire strain of bananas went extinct because this one thing knocked out all of them because they're all the same. Right. Right. And, and in nature, like it's the reason why like monoculture farming is so bad because, you know, for that exact reason in actual nature, you should have like lots of different species of plants and lots of different kinds of things all living together. But when you have just like an entire field, that's one form of corn. Yeah. A single corn blight can wipe out the entire field. Exactly. Oh, that's a great point. Um, any other last things about green, or should we move on to red? All right. Um, uh, Meg, tell us about red. Red. 
Uh, for those of you who know me personally, um, <laughs> red is a color that is very much an aspect of my character as a person. Uh, red is the color of passion. Red is the color of intensity. Red is the color of explosiveness, good and bad. Red is the color of heat. Red is the color of bright. Red is the color of the feeling, like, when you walk outside and you haven't even seen anything yet, but you can feel the sun hit you. That's what red is. In uh, magic kind of terms, uh, it is the color of fire. It's the color of uh, explosive emotion. It's the color of um, just intensifying things in general. Uh, oftentimes, mechanics-wise, a thing that red does is it copies spells. It makes things uh, change targets. It's the color of uh, amplification a lot of the time. Um, so that's kind of like its thing. So when you're talking about ethics-wise, uh, a lot of the time people interpret red as the color of anger. Can I, can I add one other thing about before we even get to the ethics? Sure. To me, red is also very much the color of the here and now. You know, it's the like, this decision seems like a great idea right now. And whether that's going to be good five minutes or five years from now, I'm not really sure. Like, you know, to me, red is like, I really want this candy. And I'm not going to think about what it's going to do to my body and, you know, down the red road. Red is the color of I spontaneity. Right yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, to poke in with one thing that red is the color of improvisation and improvised jokes. Oh yeah, That's and a good so idea. That, those are those are things that I associate strongly with red. Is yeah. Yeah, surprise? We're funny now. Red is there's no script; it's all improv. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So re- go ahead into the ethics. So when I, when I'm thinking about uh, red ethics wise, uh, red is the color of intense passion for something, uh, and a lot of times people very much interpret that as red is the color of anger. Red is the color of violence. Red is the color of um, that kind of aggressive kind of emotion. Uh, whereas a lot of the time, I I personally um, see something less as aggression and more as just intensity. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of a lot of the times we call quote unquote civilized society um, as not being intense. Uh, being intense uh, isn't something that polite people do. Uh, if you can, I'm very much air quotes polite right. here. The, the <laughs> veiled, the veiled insult instead of just saying like you're a bastard to someone's face. Yeah, was, yeah, like it's this. You know, red is the opposite of being polite about yeah. something. Um, and being passionate, a lot of the times, um, in my experience, and this is I know very much affected by my experience as a person. Uh, for me personally, um. Red is the color that is most often changed from where it's intended to be coming from. And it changes because there's a lens that it's seen through before it actually hits the other person that it's getting to. Uh, Mm. Because this is the... Red is the color of misinterpretation, in my opinion. Uh, (laughs) Red is the color where it's like, oh, I was being really intense about something. Oh, man, she's really pissed. (laughs) But I'm not. I'm just really intense. It's the color of misunderstanding, in my opinion. I think that's a great way of putting it, because I think, to me, so much of red is, I'm going to do things, I'm not going to try and conform myself to fit your understanding, you know? I am going to, 
you know, if 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 you think that it's acceptable to be a level five excited, but that a level six excited means you're overexcited, I don't care. If I'm feeling an eight, I'm feeling an eight. Um, there's a real sort of like to hell with it, not in a like selfish, bad ethical sense that certainly can be. But I think red has a real sort of like to hell with anyone else. Like I'm feeling what I'm feeling and I'm just going to let that out. Right. The like red is the color of intentions. Uh, blue cares about the, the end result and white cares about the end result of what you do. They don't really care what your intentions are. Right. They, they, they care about, you know, did I get the new knowledge? Did I, did I make the world better? Right. Right. Uh, I don't care if I'm liked is white's thing. Red cares a lot if it's liked. Red, because red's the color of intention. Red is is judge people by what they want to do, not necessarily if they were good at it, right? Right. So what's red at its best? Red at its best is the intensity of a rousing speech from someone just before you go into the last fight. Uh, red at its best is the... Come on, guys, we got this. Let's charge forward. It's that uh, continuously beaten to the ground, but they're a hero because they stood up one more time. That's red. Red is the color uh, at its best. It is explosive intensity. You will hear my cry of rage and joy as I ascend from the darkness. Yeah. I, and I think to me, red especially is like we were just talking about how for some other colors, there's sometimes an element of like, well, let's do the, the the logical thing or the natural thing. And if some individuals get sacrificed, that's not that's that's not the worst idea in the world. Red to me is very much, you know, um, the good of the one outweighs the good of the many. You know, let's all of us put ourselves at risk because one of our family or one of our loved ones or one person we don't care, have never met, but we still like. We hate to see them suffering. We're all going to put ourselves at risk to go fight for them. To me, that's well, very much that red is like, if one person is hungry in this world, then I am upset and pissed about it. Like, to me, red's the color of protest. Like, red's the color of, like, I saw that video of a terrible thing happening to someone, and that's not okay, and I'm going to go out and fight for it. Red is loud. Red is the color. Is I'm a little bit passionate about red, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, red is the color that instead of being a sat red doesn't sacrifice for things red goes out in a blaze of joy and glory for the cause right that wasn't a sacrifice that was going out in a blaze of glory it's a very burn the candle at both ends kind of color that's what red does yeah but here's the thing red at its worst is fire that burns right so red at its worst is uh fire that's too intense Red at its worst is uh, being the most well-intentioned you possibly could be, but you went way too hard and you actually made it worse because of how intense you were in that situation. Red at its worst is when your entire message was lost because you were so loud in the way you were saying it that nobody wanted to listen to you anymore. Right. Red at its worst is misdirected anger and taking it out on somebody because, in general, you're just so angry, and the next person who spoke to you is the one who got the brunt of your anger. Red, at its worst, is not being able to control the passion that is so boiling up inside of you that you end up hurting somebody else. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I like that you talked about red as the color of miscommunication because I think it goes both ways. It's both like I'm so passionate and exuberant that I might not be doing the best job of getting my point across. But it's also like if you start talking to me and your first sentence really pisses me off, I'm probably not going to hear your next five sentences because I'm just boiling mad. Um, and, and so in some ways, I kind of feel like a lot of Internet debate is very, very and, red in that regard. And, right. and here's the other thing. A lot of people think of, of red as bright and loud, and but red is the color of intensity, and intensity is the brightest bright and the darkest dark. Like, red is also the intensity of the worst things in things, too, not just bright, loud, anger things. It's also dark, cold, lonely things, because it's intensity. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people don't think of when they think of red, because that is something we so classically associate. Um, and the way that I think about it, or the way that I explain it to people a lot of the time, um, is we uh, often think of ice as a very, very blue thing. Uh, but when you touch ice that is incredibly cold, it, it burns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can feel that opposite, but there is very much that aspect there of yeah it's the intensity of something that you might not realize at first and you might need to stop and think about it right yeah i, 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 also, I mentioned oh, go ahead, oh i mentioned red is the color of humor um and improvisation red is also the color of practical jokes yeah and red sometimes does not care whether or not the other person is hurt by its jokes it cares that somebody oftentimes it sometimes an audience found it funny Red is the color of the TV show Jackass, right? Yeah, that's very fitting. It cares about feeling something. It cares about feeling laughter. It cares about humor to the expense of everything in this case. And that's the damn the consequences is both a, a wonderful message and a terrible one, right? It's See, it's it's because, because red is the color of intensity for a character or for a person who's very much red aligned. Um, because everything is so intense all the time, that means that whenever you want to try and get that kind of emotion out of something, it has to be that level of intensity. Because if it isn't intense enough, you're numb. You can't feel it anymore. Right. So a lot of the times, another aspect of red at its worst is going too far. Yep. It's not understanding when you need to stop because that person... Uh, it's you can't you put too much salt in it because you can't taste it anymore because your taste buds are dead to it you can't feel it anymore you don't understand that it's not funny anymore you don't understand that people don't want to talk about that anymore because you still do you still feel that feeling and you're at your one but it's their eight right yeah and And i think red is also um sorry i'm cutting you off there i was gonna i was gonna say red is the color of freedom along with that because it wants everybody to have the chance to feel this intensity. Yeah. It's the color of let's cut loose. Everybody do what you want to do. No consequences. Damn the consequences. Let's be free. Right. right. And that's yeah, wonderful and terrible. Right. All packed up into one simple sentence. Yeah. I, I was going to say, yeah, for me, the one thing with red is that it's also we're talking earlier about black is the color of self-care. Red to me is like stay up 24 hours a day, eat all the food you want to eat. Like self-care is just not a thing. Like if a nap will make you feel good, take the damn nap. But the idea of like I don't want a nap right now, but I should, that's nowhere in the red wheelhouse. Uh, and red to me is very much it's the, it's the color of burnout in that regard. Like you're you're going to live hard and you might not live long. D- does that sound right to you all? Yeah. 
Red is the color of I played video games for 17 hours because it, it just was one endorphin hit after another. Yep. Right. Because it's intensity. It doesn't matter what it literally doesn't matter what it is. It's mm-hmm. red is the color of I don't do anything a little bit. Right. right. Uh, red's the color of gamblers. Right. Yeah. They. Yeah. Quite literally, the color the card gamble is a red card. Right. Right. <laughs> this is for the people that don't know the magic stuff yeah. and all that. Like <laughs> red is the color of the people that don't care that will bet all of their life savings on black. Right. Right. Just to feel that that high. Right. Um. And that's where I think red can be also its worst because it's like I'll bet all my life savings or I'll bet all my family's life savings. It's a very right. much. It's not just like damn the consequences for me. It's sort of like, you know, damn the consequences, damn for anyone sometimes. Mm-hmm. What, so let's go ahead. I was just gonna say let's we could go into some examples of like characters who are are very much red characters. Sure. Yeah. Um. So uh, uh, our big green friend that we mentioned earlier, the other aspect of Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Yeah, is a is a, the kind of quote unquote classic example of of a red character. He's angry, right? Yeah. Hulk smash, Hulk mad, Hulk <laughs> want to break things. <laughs> and I think it's a perfect example because um, I mean I I don't have ever heard someone explicitly say this, but I think it it is definitely it has to be true. Banner and Hulk are very much a retelling of the the Jekyll and Hyde story. Um, oh, yes, and in that story. <laughs> It's very. It's made very implicit. That's his whole point: is can you create a purely logical version and a purely emotional version of yourself, you know, and separate those out? So I think that's like Jekyll and Hyde is a very intentional attempt to be like, can you create a blue and a red, separating them out? So, so I actually think that the the best example of a red character. Now, this is neither a hero nor a villain. It's just a character. The best example of a red, a mono red character in all of media. Is Tinkerbell. Interesting. Okay, go for it. Tinkerbell is, is this is this is canon. This is how Tinkerbell works. Uh you know, remember how Tinkerbell repeatedly tries to murder Wendy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like that's a thing that she does repeatedly. She In tries books, to murder oh, someone. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, out of jealousy she, and love. She quite literally turns red. Um and as it's explained, uh fairies are so small that they can only hold one emotion at a time. Yep. Oh, that's so that's, good. That's what they are. So to me, that is the definition of somebody who is mono-red. Tinkerbell only has the physical capacity to feel one emotion at a time, and therefore feels only one emotion at a time, and it's the most intense thing at any given moment, because she doesn't have the capacity for more. She is the most mono-red character in existence. Yeah. In Thank you of, for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Part of what it also makes me think is basically like, unless you are like some really crazy situation, pretty much every child until the age of about three or four is pure red. Yep. Temper yeah. tantrums are, are the reddest thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's a pure expression of emotion, right? Yep. It's not actually a problem. The emotion isn't the problem. Yep. It's the inability to... In- oh, um... What I was saying was, is it's it's not the actual emotion that's the problem, or even the intensity of the emotion from the child that's the problem. It's the inability to appropriately communicate what the problem is with the intensity. It's, I can't understand why you're upset. It's not that you're upset. Whatever. Be upset. I'll be upset too. Whatever. Just tell me what's wrong so I can fix it, because oh my god, stop screaming. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I love the Tinkerbell idea. And for me, I, I kind of have a similar one who I think is both hero and villain for his redness. Uh, and that's Anakin Skywalker. To me, Anakin Skywalker is the is a living embodiment of red and that he's very much about his passions and he's about his emotions. And he's You're about, just saying you know, that because like, he was on fire. yeah a little bit but but also like you know he um uh he you know he's the person who uh you know someone kills his mother and so he just like he is so mad at everyone who's involved in the death of his mother he's gonna go crazy he is so in love with padme and even more so afraid of not having the power to save her that he will go to any length to to keep her alive um and i think Anakin, in a, in a lot of ways, is a, is a great example of this because, you know, we keep talking about the, the way the colors play off each other. Anakin becomes such a red villain in part because the Jedi are so blue, because the Jedi are so focused on, like, the logic and the right thing to do. And um, someone in the movies, but even more so in the Clone Wars, which I, I will always tout as, as I think, fan, some of the best Star Trek, Star Wars content out there, um, you know... In what we see a lot is Anakin feeling a passion, feeling an emotion, and the the Jedi Council and Obi Wan and Yoda telling him to stifle it, and and that his turn to the dark side. A lot of it is like, it's it's not emotion. It, it it's what happens to repressed emotion. It's what happens to when you try to bottle up emotion and don't teach people any way to regulate emotion, and then it just all explodes at the worst time. And and to me, that's very much red. Yeah. And that's surprisingly consistent, I would say, into the into the original trilogy, where mm-hmm. Darth Vader, you're like the first real interaction he has with the his allies is to murder an ally of high rank that insults him, right? Yeah. The the force choke at the table where he just kills a guy for insulting well, him. He doesn't actually kill him. He comes very close before Tarkin sure. stops him. But yeah. So yeah. Um. I think so. You're talking about Star Wars. I'm going to talk about Star Trek for a minute because I like Star Trek. Go better. for it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I have been binge watching Next Generation again because I love myself. And mm-hmm. um, in Next Generation, uh, we see a lot of interactions with Spock's father and to a Vulcan who, as we talked about earlier, is very obviously and very uh, classically a very blue aligned species. Um, where a literal disease for a Vulcan is overwhelming emotion because they are physically right. incapable of handling it as a species. So uh, I think that that's very interesting in Star Trek where just the concept of red itself in regards to the ethics thing that we're talking about here uh, is the quote-unquote villain, is the bad guy, because it's ultimately what kills Spock's father is this disease, right. um, is that he cannot handle the emotions that are overwhelming his systems. And it's kind of like the inverse of, uh, like a human would get, say, dementia or Alzheimer's. But for a Vulcan, where it's their emotions go haywire instead of their thought processes or memories. Right. And, yeah. and, and were you, where I thought you were going is, were you the one who uh, listed Dr. McCoy, or was that you, Rob? That was me. Okay. Um. So Star Trek has a lot of these. Dr. McCoy and Spock are deliberately set up as the the logic versus emotion poles on the right. original series, right? And Dr. McCoy has a has blue trappings, right? He's a doctor, he's educated, he's smart. Damn it, Jim. He makes the Yes. It, but he's he's frustrated all the time. All he wants to do is save people's lives and anytime somebody anytime 
anytime Kurt comes to him for advice, he goes, well, I think you should do what feels right and what frees the most people. Like, yeah. don't try to plan this out too much. That's not how you solve your problems, Jim. And he's the he's the one who argues for passion. And that might be because he needs to play off of Spock. Like, you ever had that person in your in your friend group that is always making like slightly specious statements, right? Mm-hmm. They're not quite right. You're like, I, I don't, I disagree with about half of this. So yeah. <laughs> it, I, I, I'm going to push against the half that I disagree with. Right. Well, um, I, I think it's a very common trope in storytelling is to give us like mm-hmm. blue and red are often some of the most easy to identify characters, especially if they are the two good friends of someone who's in the middle, you know? Right. And, and, and uh, one of my favorite parts of Star Trek is, um, in, in the third movie where they discover that Spock is going to is, is likely still alive and they're all willing to sacrifice themselves to save him um, or sacrifice their careers and, and put their lives on the line. And on the one hand, McCoy doesn't like Spock. I mean, he, I, I think it's a sort of a, like there is a French there's a kind of like, you know, friendship out of out of rivalry there. But he has this clear moment where he's like, well, I don't want to go save Spock, but I also like what's more passionate than, you know, all of us going to save him and I can't wait to see his face when he realizes the illogic of what we just did of all, you know, of, <laughs> of all of us risking ourselves for him. And like that to me is such a McCoy moment, you know, of like, yes, taking and, that joy. And, and Trek sets up these kind of conflicts like subtly all the time anyways, because they have they paint entire species as a single thing. Right. And it's like we talk about how Vulcans are blue. That's weird. Right. That's like. It's weird that a whole species is 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 one note like that. I right. mean, the Klingons Romulans really agreed with you that that was yes. really weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. but the but the Klingons are red, right? Yeah. That's that's the entirety of the Klingon philosophy. I actually is... think that the Klingons are almost mono white. Really, everything that Klingons do is because of honor and tradition. Yeah, I, I would say I think you're both right. I think the Klingons are a great example of white and red. Because sure. they are very much like the honor and stuff. The, the, the example I think of another monocolor in uh, Star Trek is I think the Ferengi are 100% black. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> no questions. Aggressive. Uh, the only way to convince them to f- give females power is to tell them that females will have pockets and they will put money in the pockets and spend it. Yes. I just... <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> God. Like... Uh, Ferengi. I hate Ferengis. <laughs> yeah. So much. I like individual Ferengi characters. The Ferengi society can jump in a series of progressively more toxic lakes. So, uh, as a number of us proved on that evening in Toronto, we could spend many, many hours talking about this, but I know that uh, all of us have, have lives and families and things we have to get back to at some point. So I want to move us into the last, uh, the kind of real, um, not the meat of this episode, because we've already had quite a lot of things to say, but I want to say, let, let's now, having built this structure take a couple of characters and uh, really just talk about where do we see them fitting. Um, and I want to start with one we made reference to, and who I think is going to be a couple of different colors, um, Tony Stark. Where, where do you all see Tony Stark falling? I think that Tony Stark's an example specifically of evolution. Mm, yeah. Um, he starts black and he ends white. Yeah. And in between, he goes through a couple of different other colors right oh i don't know if he necessarily ends white he definitely is like in civil war it's tony stark is the whitest he's ever going to be as a character right both like he and captain america like it's a movie about two white characters white in the 
philosophical concepts fighting over which which I... version of you know law and order is best right in some ways to me tony stark is the character who keeps experiencing the worst of a color and then deciding you know he experiences the very worst of black and he realizes the harm he's doing to others and so he becomes right. much more blue and then yeah. he builds ultron and he be, realizes the problems of blue and so he becomes much more white um right and then he becomes very red he's just at the at the beginning of 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 infinity you know he he resigns from everything right to be with his family right? right he wants to pursue the passion of the thing that's in front of him protect his freedom the thing that he's most excited about and screw everybody else this is what I... he's living for now right and again he gets drawn back because he gets it's demonstrated uh you can't do that all the time tony you I can't be everything or tony you can't be actually... just one thing a character who I'll agree that he was uh, when we see he's like super young Tony in like the very first Iron Man movie, a very black character. Um, but I think he actually evolves into a green character mm-hmm. and um, proceeds to get more and more green uh, as a as a character, and actually doesn't turn mm-hmm. red in like Endgame. When he goes into, like, hardcore family mode, I think it's a different aspect of green and a redefinition of which community he's protecting. Because um, I actually don't really ever yeah, have I buy that. Tony strike me as a red character. He is very passionate. Like, he does have passions. But I have never seen him be, like, emotionally ruled, with the exception of him snapping at and going, nope, I do not care. I am murdering Bucky. Get out of my way. That dude is dead. Yeah. He does that. He also does. Um, he does the demon in the bottle thing. He he drinks to excess, and he he throws himself passionately into building robots in Iron Man Three. Yeah. Er, <laughs> uh, I mean, fair. it's the second best dedicated <laughs> Iron Man movie, right? Also true. <laughs> um, I, I I have I have opinions. Iron Man One is might be the best Marvel movie. That movie is wonderful and glorious. And I, I want Iron Man Two, two such might a be the worst. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of green, especially because um, Meg, I never thought of it until you said this, but it harkens back to what we were saying a while ago about green itself. For me, so much of Tony Stark, especially in Civil War, is that he no longer trusts his own decision making. Like, mm-hmm. the reason he wants the Sokovia Accords is he kind of says, like, no, we as individuals can't decide what's right and wrong for a planet of billions. Like, we need accountability. Uh, we need a community that's together making decisions. Um, and, yeah, I think that, to me, that's very green. Yeah, which is why I feel like that's a green-blue kind of person purging the blue part of themselves Yeah, to try and make sure that the green part of themselves is perfectly protected. Again, I think this is very much a case of the, like, ultimate motivation being green, whereas mode of how they're actually enacting change, as well as, um, kind of their... Persona? Personality, in some ways, um, is very much blue yeah. uh, for Tony Stark, I think. And I think a lot of the time he's very much a green-blue type of character. And then at the very beginning, I think that he was a black-blue character a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, that's interesting. And interesting you, uh, to me, I would say black-red at the very beginning. But yeah, I think either one would make sense. 
Um, next one I want to go to is um, we'll kind of talk about these two at the same time because they're they're in the same universe and they obviously kind of mirror each other in some ways and, and play off each other. Professor X and Magneto. Where would you see them? So oh, it's, it's so complicated. <laughs> so yeah, the they both have. They, I, I would say they are both black, white in reversed ways, mm. um, and at different times, because they both build organizations, right? And they both believe in the virtues of sacrificing for the needs of the many, right? Right. But they they have this dichotomy where they both like uh. The, the worst Professor X storyline is the one, or Professor X storylines are the ones where he summons terrible things, right? He does something terrible to make things better mm-hmm. in the long term. So, so I think that Professor X is uh, mostly blue black with a little splash of white. Yeah. Okay. And I think that Magneto is. Red, black, with a little splash of green. How so? So, I think that Professor X is a primarily blue type of person, and I think that uh, he thinks he knows what is best at all points in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would argue that the worst things that Professor X ever did are because he thought he was doing what was best, because one of them was definitely putting a psychological block in Jean Grey's head. Yeah. Yeah, that and um, onslaught, right? Those are the two, like, right. <laughs> because I mean, there's many times he decided go ahead. That, that he was the smartest one, that he knew what was up, and that he could do it correctly, well, what have you. Yep. That is a very black motivated, blue initiated thing, right? Right. Um, and the very persona that, like, the very much the persona that he puts on is, oh, world order, world type of thing, right? Like, this is like. Oh, justice, equality, like this is like, and it's it very much strikes me as more of like a uh, blue white type of rule of like equality type of thing, less than a like green white type of equality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, no, we're all we should work together. We should go about this by using the system that's in place. Um, we we should work through Congress to pass laws and stuff. Whereas Magneto is over here with Red Black with, like, no, I know what's up. I get really pissed, and then we blow up stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, um, burn it down, you he see says. A, a, a huge portion of, like, the red part of Magneto's personality, in my opinion, when you see, uh, if you look at, say, the first movie that they made, which is actually, I actually genuinely enjoy that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me terrible, but I genuinely enjoy that movie. Uh, where you see the flashbacks of him uh, at the gates to a concentration camp. <laughs> And he gets angry. And that's like one of the first manifestations of his power is him getting angry and pulling the gate apart, right? Until they knock him out. Right. Um, he's very much an emotionally um, prepared person. And like you were saying, uh, Red can absolutely be like the, uh, you know, kind of protests. Like the, no, you will hear me. I will be loud. There will be change. I will draw the line in the sand, and then I will hold that line. Right. Uh, so he very much strikes me as a red-black type of person, and very much in a community-focused type of way, because he's very much in a, uh, no, 
we are the natural evolution of human beings. Excuse me, you're going to genocide us what now? I think not. I'll genocide you first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great way of putting it because – and I, I fans of the show know that I am probably much more Team Magneto than I am Team Professor X. And Magneto is my favorite example of the villain who comes very, very close to being a hero. Um, and I – to me, we actually did an entire uh, episode on Professor X and mind control and the ethics of mind control and mostly like, don't do it, Professor X. <laughs> um, but it, but I definitely think like one of the key differences there is Professor X cares about humanity and he wants to figure out what is mutants role in humanity and he wants to protect humanity. But he's also understanding like humanity has reasons to be afraid. And so we're going to try and kind of like not offend them and not bother them and not like make them too uncomfortable, or too scared. Whereas, so, like, the other part that I feel about that is it's very much in the, like, the, like, oh, like, kind of savior, like, the, oh, we have to take care of humanity, right? It's our responsibility, like, right. uh, Noblesse no, oblige, put no, you no, in charge, power. like. <laughs> yeah, Professor X is very much, I know what is best for everyone else. Yes. Um, whereas Magneto is very much, like, you know, I don't, he doesn't have a, like, hatred of humanity. He has a deep love of his fellow mutants and a desire to protect his fellow mutants. And he has a, as it turns out, very legitimate fear that humanity will want to wipe out the mutants. And so he's like, well, if humanity won't let us live in peace with them, then yeah, we should, if we, if we have to fight, we'll have to fight and we have to win. Um, so like, here's the other thing. I can never think, I can't really think of a time off the top of my head where Magneto ever stopped someone from leaving the Brotherhood of Mutants. But I can think of every single time somebody tried to leave the X-Men, suddenly they were, like, a public enemy number two, right? And, yeah. like, the next thing they do is go fight that person. Well, that's also a white thing, right? Like, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Yeah, well, yeah. that's me That's me. why um, I would have said, Meg, that when you said that Presser X is very much blue-black, to me, he is, maybe he's white-blue-black, but to me, he's very Yeah, much... that's, that's what I said, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was, okay, to me, he's the epitome of what can be the worst of white-blue. You know, where it's the like, we're trying to build a good order for everyone with laws and order and rules. And if you don't like, if you don't think this is good for you, you're wrong. Right. So, for example, um, one of the characters from Magic Lore uh, is actually a character named Azor. Uh, he is a sphinx and he is what's called a planeswalker and he can jump from different planes of existence and he is blue white. And his big thing was law magic. He could instill magical laws for entire planes of existence. Um, and as it turns out, uh, when you think you know best for other planes of existence that you just happen to pop into, you often instill laws that break everything and make everything horrible for the natural inhabitants of where you just landed. Right. Uh, so don't do that. It's the bad aspect of blue-white. And that's kind of what I was getting at here with the Professor X thing. And I find him to be very black because a lot of the times uh, the Professor X-centric storylines are all like, oh, I'm in my head and I have this personal affliction and I'm arguing with, da-da, me. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, oh, here we go again. Yep. You know, we're in the mind zone and it's Professor X's bald Mr. Cleanhead. Like, <laughs> yeah, because Professor X seems to be the example of the person who ostensibly cares very much about community, but is not green in the slightest. Because for him, community is never about, let's find out what Wolverine and Cyclops and Jean Grey have to think, and if they think I'm wrong, and I should adjust my plans. You know, it's very much about, I am the leader, and I'm going to build this with, with a, a strict hierarchy. Right. Um, next ones I wanted to talk about, and also, I, I, if you all have ones you want to uh, um, 
go to, please just jump in. But again, doing a pair, because uh, as you said, um, well, actually, uh, Rob, I was going to talk about Aang and Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. You said you're okay being spoiled on stuff from that? Yeah, okay. go right ahead. Um, so yeah, so uh, uh, more Meg, where do you see Aang and Zuko? So I see Aang as very, very green-white. Yeah. Um, Aang very much has a, a very strict code of ethics, a very strict morality code. I actually touched on this on a uh, comment on a friend's Facebook earlier, uh, where when we meet Aang, uh, he pops out of the ice, and he is 12 years old. He also has... Uh, and Rob, I'm sorry, this is major spoilers. Um, Whatever. He also has... The statute of limitations has passed. There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, the uh, He also is covered in tattoos. And those tattoos mean he is an airbending master. Okay? And now airbending, especially in the era that Aang was born, because that's a hundred years in the past from where we start the last, the last airbender show, uh, it's very much uh, focused on spirituality as well, on, on self like reflection and in giving up earthly things and in reaching a higher plane of transcendence and enlightenment. And it's very spiritual, very light thing. And they even talk about in the flashbacks to kind of Aang's past episodes, uh, where Aang was told he was the avatar much, much earlier than is traditional, uh, to tell an avatar. Um, so they flashback and show the avatar before Aang learning. He was the avatar and he is, his name was Roku. Uh, and he's told he's, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. Aang was 12 um, when they told him because he mastered airbending absurdly quickly. Right. Uh, he got his airbending mastery way, way, way faster than he was supposed to. So they just were like, all right, fine, screw it. You're the Avatar, by the way. Um, and to me, that speaks a lot to the white part of his nature because he fell so easily and naturally into that strict code of ethics that to him is just like breathing. Right. It's just that second nature. And he really, to me, exemplifies the green aspect in himself because he really falls into the role of being the community aspect of the avatar very easily. Yeah. Uh, he is on those kind of monster of the week episodes, filler episodes for Ava- Avatar, uh, as you go across, it's Aang solving issues for communities, doing what he's supposed to be, being the bridge between the spirit world and the human world, um, resolving disputes. Uh, you know, you're talking about a 12 year old and a couple of his buddies who resolve, you know, intercontinental <laughs> wars that have been going on for, you know, a century. Right. Uh, it's, it's realistically like, kind of absurd that like i'm thinking back and i'm like yeah i totally just accepted that on the first watch through <laughs> yeah. of this and i'm just like oh yeah all right yeah i guess that makes sense let's all listen to the teenagers that's fine yeah uh my kid is your age that's weird <laughs> um yeah so it's like it's this disc this, this you know disconnect and i think that speaks to the very white nature of him being able to fall very easily into that strict code of conduct for himself yeah and then I think it also speaks to the green part of his nature, where he just, the part of being the avatar that comes most naturally to him, besides his airbending, is the resolving community interpersonal issues, literally traveling across the world on a giant flying buffalo. And, and in many ways, I think, I, feel like, I think white green is the perfect description, but also I would say he's pretty much everything except red, like, because he is very much the... There's a miscommunication here. How can I kind of rise above it and try to solve it? 
And like as you were saying, red's the color of miscommunication. So often he's like, how do we misunderstand each other? How can we see better? As well as that he's got a strong element to his character of like there are moments where he becomes really lost in emotion. And for him, those are the moments where he feels like he is most not himself. Um, and he's most like so, Go ahead. But he does have that happen, right? Yeah, so yeah. I was about to say, I actually think he's every color except black. Yeah, that that mm. was my my, my my question was the black question because I'm like, it sounds like he's blue to me because he, you talked earlier about how he has to learn multiple styles of magic, right? Right. Right. And so he's on this quest to learn and pick up these things and discover more. And that, that sounds really blue to me. I really, really think he's everything but black because nothing he does is for himself. Mm. Uh, he goes and he finds everyone's advice but himself. Uh, an ability that we see that comes very easily to Aang that we can see comes, it's very hard for, say, Korra, if you go to Legend of Korra, um, is the ability to access past lives and speak to and access that knowledge and that advice from those past lives. Um, so when you're thinking about, um, the colors, I, I don't think that he ever does anything himself. He doesn't take his own advice very easily, and that's a very black thing to do. That's uh, I think his red is very much a part of his personality, even if it is, as Rob pointed out, the part that he likes the least. Right. Uh, because the thing that kicks Aang into the Avatar state almost every single time until he learns how to do it uh, himself is he's pissed. Right. Somebody hurts yeah, Appa. He gets into the Avatar state. Somebody hurts Katara. Boom, he's in the Avatar state. He sees that the his, you know, not even his entire nation is gone, but his best friend, Monk Gyatso, is dead. Boom, Avatar state. Like, holy shit, he's pissed. He's so mad that he can't handle it. Yeah. And his entire issue with firebending, as we already talked about, which is, you know, firebending, you have that's control is a very red thing because it's so explosive his whole issue with firebending is he can't control it it's too big when he firebends and he accidentally hurts katara right so it's like red is definitely an aspect of his personality and it's a big one yeah it's just one that he doesn't like i think actually it's a much better and it's it's a part of big character growth for him yeah that, that a lot of his character growth is the attempt to 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 resolve the red parts of his character and to bring it into it's to accept the red parts of his character yeah exactly to, to come to peace with it I also think, and to me this is where I think you're right, that he's kind of most red, uh, white, green, even though he's, he's definitely elements of all of them except black. One of the major, major plot points for Aang is when he is faced with a situation where, like, he, like a lot of heroes, um, tries this idea of, like, I will never kill my enemies. And there's an extent to which he has the Batman or Daredevil problem where, like, I don't kill enemies, I just knock tanks off the sides of mountains that my enemies are in, but I'm sure they're all okay. Um, you know, um, but even putting that aside, Mr. Fishy, yeah, no, he, we get to a major plot point where basically he has to face this horrible, terrible enemy and everyone tells him like, you're going to have to kill him. And, and he, he really just wrestles with what do I do and how do I find a way to not have to kill him? And to me, that's very much white green. That's very much a, it's, it's the white because it's like, I have set this rule for myself of I will not kill but also just the sort of white-green idea of, like, you know, that, that, that killing is wrong or that I, I'm going to try as much as I can to... Because in, in some ways, it's not even that she was going to kill him. He wants to bring that person back into the society. He wants to say, like, 
can the person be reformed instead of just killed, which to me is very white. And green. you know what? I think that that's also another um, aspect of the red part of him, because I think red is also very much the color of stubbornness. <laughs> that's fair. Well, and, 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 yeah, and the emotion. I like... may or may not been speaking about no one in particular. <laughs> I. <I'd... laughs> We're going to have a moment to self-identify at the very end. So don't worry about that. There. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, who uh, I have a couple of those in my list, but who are others you all want to throw out? Uh, I wanted to talk about Thanos. Yeah, actually. let's go for it. Uh, so Thanos is obviously not going to be. So I think Thanos is green. I think Thanos is almost entirely green. Um, he is. He doesn't seek knowledge or self improvement for self improvement's sake. He doesn't. He doesn't seek out things just to just because he's selfish and he wants them. Um, he doesn't adhere to deals. He will betray you. He doesn't care. So he doesn't fall into black at all. He's not actually about passion or serving his passions. So he's not red. Right. Um, you could you could maybe make an argument for white, but what he wants is to give people room to grow. Yeah. Right. That's his. It's a totally insane. Makes no sense. Everything about it is, <laughs> yeah. Like when you look at him, you're like, that dude has some problems. Yeah. But I... his his ultimate motivations and his method of going about a lot of things is green. I think that Thanos is green black. Okay. I think Thanos is green black because of the Thanos in Endgame. Because after he realizes that even if he is successful with the snap, they can still jump to a different reality, whatever, they're still, like, trying to stop him, that he has to do more than just the snap, that he has to do more than the natural order. It's his responsibility himself to do this. Also, I would like to point out that there is a big difference in Thanos' motivations between the movie Thanos and comic book oh, Thanos. Oh, gosh, yes. yes. The comi- because was... comic book Thanos wants to get laid. Yeah, no, comic book Thanos is, is so... pure red. He, he is trying to murder the entire galaxy, half the galaxy, as a grand romantic gesture, laid. which is, to me, completely yeah. red-black. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. he, it's the most Rakdos thing in existence, <laughs> and I love him to death for it. I, I was really... But ching Yeah. But, um... <laughs> I was really excited to see, like, death as a character when they were like, Thanos right? is the big bad, and I was like... Oh, yeah. Ooh, we're, this is gonna get weird. <laughs> and then Do you know who should have played her? Death should have one hundred percent been played by Audrey Plaza. By the way, like not yeah. even a question. <laughs> okay, especially because she could have yeah. so well done the like sort of like very disaffected, very like it's, Thanos. Yeah, it's just five April from yet. Parks and Rec. <laughs> like it's just April in like really like bad Halloween skeleton makeup. Like. <laughs> well, and actually one other thing about Thanos, because I, I do think th- movie Thanos is very green in that regard with, with, yes. with some green black, although I'd push back a little on the black because I think part of his thing is like, he doesn't choose, you know, he's not going to say only half the worlds can live. So I'm going to choose the ones that I like most or, or the people I like most. It's really just like grand fate. So um, go ahead. Yeah. I got slightly sidetracked. The other aspect of the black that I was talking about earlier was you had mentioned the self-harm aspect of black, where it's like, oh, I'll use my life as a resource, that type of thing. Uh, Thanos has very much shown that he is willing to sacrifice literally anything, including his daughter, to achieve this end. And I think that that is a very black part of his... um, Right. I can see that. 
pers- yeah. personage. Yeah. Um, and that sacrifice of the, no, I'm willing to sacrifice everything. Your people, my people, doesn't matter. I destroyed myself, and he's not even mad that he gets his head chopped off. Like, whatever. It's anticlimactic to him. It doesn't matter. That's the sacrifice. You know, screw it. Right? But I guess, it, like, for me, a lot of what you're talking about is, like, to me, that all makes sense if it's for your own benefit. Whereas when you're doing it for the sacrifice for what you think is a greater good, like, is that still black? Or cause doesn't that get more into the white territory of, like, I, I don't care if even my head gets well, off I- because it's good for everybody? I think that he also has a little bit of white, but in that whole natural order kind of way, that it's like a splash, if anything. That makes sense. Like, to me, he's like pretty, like, green, black, white, with majority green, a big streak of black in there, and then, like, just, like, the idiot's little, like, highlight of white. I'm not even sure if there's any really highlight of white. He has an army, but his army isn't structured as as a regimented unit. They all fight independently, right? He doesn't have a... He doesn't have a grand plan to reorganize the universe. He just wants to give everyone more space to grow again. He wants to yeah. reset the natural order back to where it was. I don't know when. It doesn't make any sense. His plan is incoherent. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, where I, where I, like he's kind of like green, black, and then he's saying he's white. Yes. Like, like to me, part of where I was going is, and maybe this does make sense for green, or at least makes sense for someone who's you know got strong ideas, but is kind of an idiot. Like in some extent, he wants the very green thing of going back to everyone having room to grow. But the whole problem, he thinks, is that there was too much green. There was too much growth, you know? Um, and so there's an interesting, I think, paradox. In, and they, they makes him an interesting character that he just well, he doesn't see that. I think that that also makes him very much an aspect of black um, as well, which is that whole entropy aspect, where entropy is an important part of the natural cycle. And again, that cycle is a very white thing. Yeah. Um, where no, it's no like there death. is a cycle where it's like grow, decay change and so on and it's a very you know interesting cycle which interestingly enough i want to touch slightly on um colorless in a minute here speaking of growth decay and change but um <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> well and i so anything else you want to say on thanos because i actually realized there's one character we started to talk about and then skipped right over um i think I'm okay well so let's go back to uh avatar lost airbender because i said i want to talk about ang and Possibly one of my favorite characters in all of media, in part because he has such a great journey through, I think, different colors, uh, Zuko, um, who Zuko. I will say as a huge, huge Grease fan, I will probably accidentally call him Danny Zuko at some point during this conversation because I make that mistake all the time. Um, and I really want to see Zuko in a like black leather shirt dancing on top of a Camaro. But putting that aside, what's your take on the color identity of Zuko? I think that Zuko is the is very very much red. Mm-hmm. Uh, is very much a red character. I think that Zuko is red white. Yeah. Um. I think that uh, Zuko is red white. Um. With like a f- of the barest little hint, a flavor, maybe like a, like a Lacroix's worth of green. Um. That was funny. You both should have laughed. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll like, add laughter in post. Just because of how important family is to him yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think that a large majority of Zuko's natural character is red. A large part mm-hmm. of his character growth is learning how to not control his red, but it, to 
channel the red aspects of his nature in a healthy way, and there is a difference, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that he is also white, because I also think that he believes very deeply in things like honor and tradition and what is important, uh, and is very much proud of the militaristic and traditional nature of his country and that a large aspect of what causes him to ultimately join the avatar's cause is when he realizes how the history and nature of his nation has been perverted and used as a weapon to recruit people to a cause that is not a just one because you can see in the episode where he confronts his father towards the end of the third book um where he discusses how we were taught as children that the Fire Nation was the greatest nation on the planet and the war was our way of giving that glory as a gift to the rest of the world. But now that I've traveled the world, I can see that what we're doing isn't a gift. We're not the greatest. How could you do this to us? Yeah, I. You lied to us. You took our history and you perverted it. I, I think, And I think that that is part of what you know, pisses him off so bad. I, I think that's a great, great uh, perspective. And I, what I, I would add is I, I, for me, I think white and red, absolutely. I would say he starts as white, red, black and becomes white, red, green. Um, in part because of that evolution you're talking about, that he's able to start yeah. moving from not just like the honor and goodness of, of, of my country and my traditions and my honor to what's actually the effect this has on everybody else. What are the consequences of this and on the larger community? And and to me, one of the most interesting parts of his story is that he, I think you did a really great job explaining the kind of the, the large picture he has. He goes through this evolution where his sort of small picture and large picture both change in the same ways because he also starts from the perspective of like, he starts out that he has been banished from his home because as his father told him, you broke the laws of honor, you did bad, therefore you are punished. And he starts... Also... Sorry, go ahead. He spends most of the first part of the of the the whole show trying desperately to to win that back, and and his real one of the points of his real shift is when he starts to question like, wait, what is the honor in punishing a small child for asking a question? You know what? It, like when he starts when he's able to get to the point where instead of it's just like the law is the law, and so I need to follow the law, and I'm a bad person because I didn't, so I have to win it back. But he's trying to say wait a minute, maybe what happened to me and what's happening to the whole world is a sign that, as you were saying, these traditions are maybe not good just because they're traditions. Well, I don't I don't just think that it's uh, uh, necessarily a... I don't think that these are a good idea just because they're traditions. I think it's also, like... A, 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 in my opinion, part of his um, anger at his father and anger at the whole situation is that the traditions themselves were perverted and hurt. Uh, as you can see a lot in the episode where they also explore, um, both the episodes where Zuko is reading about his great grandfather's history and Aang is communicating with, uh, Avatar Roku. Uh, as it turns out, those two were friends, very dear friends. Um, you're seeing, like, what the Fire Nation looked like before the war, which is not normally something we get to see, like, a quote-unquote perfect picture of yeah. in regards to media that we're consuming about a war, right? We don't get to see, quote-unquote, perfect pictures of the origins of that. 
Uh, and in this, not only are we seeing a perfect picture, we're seeing a perfect picture from two perspectives of the same thing, which is cool. Uh, and what Zuko is seeing is how the traditions and the way in which his country looks, feels, acts, does everything was all twisted and perverted and hurt in order to kind of fuel this propaganda machine. And part of his indignation at the entire thing is seeing that this structure, this tradition, this system that's so important to him, this white aspect of his nature has been perverted, corrupted, and weaponized in order to subjugate not only his people, but in order to subjugate his people into, in turn, subjugating other people. Yeah. Um, I also think that a very big aspect of the green nature of Zuko, uh, we actually get out of not Avatar The Last Airbender, but out of um, Avatar The Legend of Korra. Uh, because Legend of Korra is actually pretty cool because we get to see um, kind of the outcome of the lives of these characters that we got to see this one pivotal point in. And specifically with Zuko, uh, he has the job, the uniquely difficult, awful, icky, uncomfortable, disgusting job of re- basically rebuilding Germany after World War II. Yeah, and uh, he becomes the Fire Lord. Of being the bad guys. He's the Fire Lord now. He's the now the ruler of the country that has spent the last hundred years trying to, well, a genocided one in country out of existence, got really close with a second, and enslaved a third. So now what do you do? And it goes over in The Legend of Korra, what do you do with Fire Nation colonies? Do you kick the Fire Nation people out? Who counts as Fire Nation now? Who counts as Earth Nation now? Like, what do their kids count? It's like these really heavy concepts. And I think that in order for Zuko to have been as successful of a Fire Lord as he very obviously is by the Legend of Korra, he, by necessity, has to have a very strong green aspect to his nature in order to be able to uh, successfully guide a community like that. Yeah. Well, it's that idea of green, of, of accountability to others, not just to yourself and your own ideas. That and yeah, and how important family is to him. There's an entire comic series in between um, the Avatar: The Last Airbender and Avatar: Legend of Korra um, that, in two of them, involve Zuko's family. Uh, one is very much centered on Azula and the fact that she is not okay, <laughs> um, really not okay, and uh, also the search for Zuko's mom. Uh, so family is also super important to him, and I find that to be a very green aspect as well, a very green part of someone's nature. A lot of the time is the importance of family. Yeah. Um, I've got two more I want to do before we wrap up, but either of you guys have one more that you're kind of burning to talk about? Rob, you want to talk about one that maybe I, I am not quite so uh, familiar with <laughs> that maybe you and Matthew are? Uh don't Javert? go Brandon Sanderson. I haven't read those books quite enough. <laughs> what were you going to suggest? <laughs> uh, Javert. Oh, yeah. Let's talk Javert. Probably my uh, favorite character in musical theater. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, from Les Mis. Uh, oh, yeah. Basically so, Aaron Burr. I mean, it's pretty much the same character in some well, ways. Well. No, uh, actually, no. no. I, I'm going to re- no. revise that. That's not quite the same. But go no. ahead. So Javert, Javert's big big through line is he he is a police officer. He's a parole officer, and he spends his whole life hunting down an escaped prisoner, right? This is white. Yeah. I am sure Javert white. is white. Well, uh, but, so quick question. Have either of you read the book? I have, yeah. Uh, snippets of it, not the whole thing. 
So one of the things about Javert was that, like, he not necessarily moved on from the fact that um, Jean Valjean got away from him, but it was, like, the one, like, black mark on his record. So he didn't maybe actually, like, he didn't necessarily spend, like, actively, like, you know, 20 years searching for this dude, right. but it was, like, the one thing that wasn't perfect about his record, and he's, like, getting ready to retire, and he, like, notices, like, the... Oh, snap, I could go perfects. Right. Right. Well, but the fact that he wants a perfect record in law enforcement is a white thing, yeah. right? Right, no, completely like, agree. Uh, like, I, I think I think that he's white, but it's weird because I don't think that he cares about the community at all. Yeah, he right? cares about the law for the sake of the law. I think yeah. that's a very – and I think in the book there's a little more talk about that he does have a, like, sense of, like – the danger of anarchy and the danger of, uh, you know, and all this is happening like um, pretty soon after the French revolution. Um, and that like sort of, I, I think he, he didn't live through it, but like, you know, he, he's heard stories of, you know, anarchy and chaos. And so I think he has a very strong belief in the law as a force against anarchy and chaos, but there's none of this, like it's, you know, I don't think he ever thinks like Jean Valjean is a danger to people. I think he thinks like a criminal going unpunished is a danger to people. Right. So, in, in my opinion, Javert is the, like, epitome of a mono-white character because he just, he has a a literal inability to not see everything in black and white. Either you are a good guy or you are a bad guy. Either you are right or you are wrong. Either you follow the law or you do not. There is no reason ever to break a law. There is no justification ever. And he can say that because he's from the gutter too, so it's not like he doesn't understand. Right. And when it turns out that Jean Valjean uh, breaks this black and white paradigm in his head because he doesn't well, kill him, uh, he literally cannot handle it and nose dives off of bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, cannot function, does not compute, I cannot live in a world where this guy is not a scumbag because he obviously broke the law. Um, dial up noise, jump into a river. Like in a lot of ways, I think it really shows the rigidity and the the sort of um the brittleness of the white philosophy because that idea of like when you are so invested in right is right, wrong is wrong, everything fits neatly into its place. When something comes along that doesn't fit. Like it just you you have no mental ability to comprehend it. It just doesn't fit your entire world system, and so you either right. have to, as we see, I think many villains do, both in 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 fantasy and in our own worlds, deny the existence of those things and force them into a box, mm-hmm. or you just eventually have to realize that your entire the entire system upon which your entire life has been built is wrong, and then it all falls apart in this very brittle, rigid way. Right. They, it, uh, my biggest problem with with him being white is that he doesn't he doesn't actually respect temporal authority, right? Like Valjean is the mayor at one point, right, of a town. Mm-hmm. What, what that that should allow for some level of, you know, John Valjean is serving the community, he's doing the right things, he's following the law, he's become mayor, he's gone through all these things. Well, but I think what and what he said, but he's done it using a fake identity, so everything done with that fake identity is invalidated. Yeah, it, it's again, it's that rigidness of if you were once a bad person, then any attempt you do to pretend to be that any time when you seem to be being good must be fake, because you're a bad person, and so everything you do is tainted by that. 
Right. Right. It's not you are a person who did a bad thing. It's you are a bad person. That does not change. Right. Um. So that, that's very green, actually. But mm, how so? You're fated to always be bad. Oh right? yeah. But, well, but I, but I think it's not. It's not that he's fated. I think it's that you made that choice. You made the initial choice. Yeah, you made that choice, and that is the choice that you made. Right. But yeah, it's. I think it's a good example of how a lot of these col- you you can p- place people in yeah, different be- colors. Well, he he al- he also like straight up says like it's not that like if you're born like you're it's not that you're born bad you have to choose to do that because my my mother was a whore I was born in the gutter I chose to become good why didn't you right there is no excuse right which I think is very anti green yeah but two other the two other characters I want to throw out one of which I think we're going to talk about pretty quickly and then the other I think might get some real debate before we go on um Han Solo um. Han Solo, first of all, I think, to put it into a different ethical context, Han Solo is the grumpiest Hufflepuff I think I've ever, you know, seen on screen. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think one of you suggested that he's very much black. Uh, I forget who it was, but you want to explain what you mean by that? Um, so, uh, Han Solo, until fairly, like, basically every decision that he makes in episode four is what will get me money right right and um he he makes one decision to come back and at the end of the movie save luke's life that is the only non-black choice that he makes through that throughout the entire movie um i would actually say by what we said before it's very much black because it's it's the honor among thieves you know he it's not that he thinks the death star is going to destroy other innocent people i've never met it's that it's Luke saved my life. I have to save his. Leia is someone I want to maybe bang or at least get, you know, protect. Like, <laughs> but, I... but he doesn't have to, right? Like, that's that's the thing is he got paid. He got the thing that he got promised. Deal's done. He could leave and retire in luxury, right? Right. I think that Han Solo is black and very begrudgingly green. Yeah, and I like think that, that over time... He becomes more accepting of his green nature and, in fact, grows within his green nature. And that he has always been fairly 50-50 black-green. He just was very loud about the black part and very begrudging about the green part. And here's why. Um, it's the same reason to me why Captain Jack Sparrow is the same way. Mm. Um, so Han Solo's all about, all oh, the money, all oh, the deal, what do I get out of this? Oh, I, you know, look out for number one, der da der but der da der But also, he's a, he's a braggart, right? Right. Oh, I did such and such, and however many parsecs, and this, that, and the other thing. I am the legendary whoosie what's it. But every single time he comes up with a dilemma where it's do the right thing because it's the right thing to do for, like, the good of somebody else, like go rescue the stupid kid or go do this, that, or the other, right? He does it. And yeah. he, if he wanted him to smuggle like a little kid out of a slave camp or something, he would do it because it's a little kid. Right. And he, right? he has a like, Wookiee that owes him a life debt, right? Like that, it, that can't have been accidental. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. And like the way, like he's pack bonded with the Millennium Falcon because he's that type of human <laughs> and you know that he is. Yeah. He's the type of guy who talks to Roombas. <laughs> you know that he is. And like, as a person who has really named shows... my Roomba, I can identify with his comment. Th- that doesn't necessarily. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's green, right? Like, I think that there are very green aspects of him, he... and I think that it manifests harder 
once you especially get into the newer movies where he goes into like hard dad mode. Mm-hmm. I, I I would actually argue a lot of those things are red, right? He develops caring for somebody and makes a choice that isn't in his own self-interest because he's overwhelmed by caring for them or right. he's overwhelmed by be- angry at injustice because like I, I've read more books that I've watched Star Wars movies. I, I tapped out after episode two and I haven't watched a single Star Wars movie and I think J.J. Abrams is a terrible person. So That's fair. like <laughs> I, I don't want to give give anybody really to Star Wars any money after anymore. But like in the books, he he always makes passionate choices after a point, right? Yeah. I've never read a Star Wars book, so I, <laughs> I can't comment. Yeah. And here's the thing, like, yeah, we're talking to some extent about different Han Solos to that regard. And yeah. I, like, to me, as someone who's read both, I think of him as, to me, if if Malcolm Reynolds is mostly mono-black, then so is Han Solo. Because I would say, like, it, it is passion, but it's about, like, I'm going to do what's best for me. And what's best for me is keeping my buddy Luke alive, you know? And what's best yeah. for me is... Um, you know, I would feel terrible if this little kid was sold into slavery. So I'm going to do that thing. Um, but like the fact that he's, you know, willing to, um, you know, go back on, like he's fought for the rebellion and then he's going to leave the rebellion because like he has to, you know, in the immortal line, a life debt is a, ter- a, 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 a what is it? Um, again, now I can't, I'm going to edit that whole part out. Um, <laughs> um, Good I'm talk. sorry. There we go. You know, because as I say in that, that immortal line, a death mark is a hard thing to live with. Um, one of my favorite unintentionally hilarious lines in all of Star Wars. Um, but but yeah, so I, I guess to me, I think he's all these things. But I, I definitely for me see him as, as little bits of red, little bits of green, never white, uh, not really much blue, uh, but but very much black. And in a heroic way, showing like how a black can be a hero, how, how showing how black can be a hero. Yeah. Uh, the last one I wanted to talk about, um, and here, let, let me actually ask, have you guys seen the movie Birds of Prey? No. I have not. I have it's not. It's on my to-do list. Okay. Um, Same. I wanted to say let's talk about Harley Quinn, but I feel like that movie is the one that most really dives into her character. Although I know, um, Meg, you've certainly read a lot of the, the DC comics. Um, is Harley think, Quinn one you think we can talk about? Well, so Harley Quinn is an interesting one because Harley Quinn didn't originate in comics. Correct. Right. She, the Batman she's animated the, series. Yep. yep. Yeah. She's actually from a TV show and she was so popular in said TV show that she became a recurring character. And I think that she is um, complicated enough that I would like to have the context of Birds of Prey. I mean, Speak intelligently on yeah. that. I I feel like we could just talk about her Batman animated series version. Yeah, and I, I yeah. I've seen Birds of Prey. Meg, I think it will become maybe one of your top five favorite movies. Um, it is very <laughs> very much. I also I badly want to see that TV show, the like Harley Quinn TV show. Yeah. That I keep seeing little like Facebook advertisements. That it looks sweet. I want to see that. Yeah, ping me about that. I want to start watching it too. But yeah, let, let's talk about her then, just in the Batman the animated series, because I do think. I think Birds of Prey is is quite true to her character in that, far more so than Suicide Squad was. Um, but yeah, let's talk about her there. So just from Batman the Animated Series, where would you put Harley Quinn? Uh, I think that she is like me. I think she is Rakdos. Mm-hmm. I think that she is red-black. How, how is I, I, I 100% agree on red. Is she black? I think, I think that she is red-black, but I think that... In a unique way, her devotion is not into her, like, she is, she is black, except the focus isn't herself, it's on Mr. J. Right. Sure. And it's because of, um, 
the way in which she is being manipulated by the Joker mm-hmm. um, that changes that focus. And I think that looking at the shift of who she is as a person from who she is while dating the Joker and while not dating the Joker, I think shows that shift backwards towards a healthy manifestation yeah. of black characteristics that turn more self-focused, yeah. self-care inward, whereas they have been ripped out of that focus, which makes them unhealthy. Right. That's why I was even debating about black at all, because she's codependent, right? Yeah. And she's spookily codependent to the point where when Poison Ivy shows her any kind of attention at all, she clings to her, right? Right. Which is... So... I, I, I wouldn't even call that spooky. I yeah. think that's just textbook codependency. Um, and right. it, from, I mean, like, and I think in, in other places they explore her having a very abusive childhood. And I think that that can be very much, you know, that, that that's often a, uh, a reaction to that kind of a childhood. Right. But I think that that is also very much an aspect of black because codependency is very much a form of contract, right? right. It is a form of a, no, 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 like, this is, this is how th- this, this relationship should work. This is, this is how this is going to work. I am devoted into doing what is the, you know, it is like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do what I am told. It's laid out. This is how, you know, when, when the focus of something like self-care is devoted so much to someone else, because everything she does is to make the Joker happy and comfortable, yeah. right? Right. Um, when that, that caring, that aggressive caring is focused outside of itself, I still think it's a very black aspect. I just think that it is um, one that has been twisted to be an unhealthy black aspect. Yeah, I, I wanted to also, um, what I just said, I think, came out quite entirely wrong. Uh, it, what Part of what I, what I was trying to say there is that I think, like, you know, coming from an abusive childhood can lead to codependency. I think I said it in a way that sounded like that that's a fairly common thing. Of course that it's not. I'm not... Uh, I don't want to anyway try to indicate that like any kind of these mental issues are always a result of of going through abuse or anything like that. Just that there can be a a, a connection there. Um, Fair, but I, I think that that's very true. And it's um, <laughs> I'd love to revisit this conversation after you see the movie Birds of Prey, and I will be very careful not to spoil anything. I think it's very it's, it's commonly understood. I think that the movie is all about um, Harley outside of Joker, and one right. of the things I think is really interesting is to me it, it's a lot of what the movie's about is about her basically kind of figuring out what is her moral system because of realizing like I've based my entire moral system around this other person. What is it? Um, certainly though, I think it very much highlights her red characteristics and that she's very much the, as we see, I think in all the media she's in, you know, if she wants something, she, she grabs it. If she has to smash something to grab it, she grabs it. And if she hurts someone like, oops, teehee, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Is to me the, a, a perfect quote of Harley in some ways. Um, but yeah, I think red and black definitely fits there, as well as um, little bits of, you know, weird way green, because there's a sort of like, there. I, I think she very, or maybe this is just black, but I think she very much has the, not as much the loyalty among thieves, but about the real like, I'll happily kill tennis and people who get in the way, but if you're on my crew, I'm never leaving you behind. Right. I, She's a so, pack animal in that way, right? Yeah. So... Being somebody who is very much self-described as being black-red, um, I see that as like very much an aspect of red that is intensity of caring for other people, where it's like, oh, the people who are close to me I feel very crazy intensely for because I'm very much a red, red type of person. Um, so that intensity manifests in that way which is very similar to like the green very much pack mentality yeah. 
But it's kind of like, to me, kind of like the difference between um, somebody who is attracted to somebody else because of, like, an aspect of them and somebody who's attracted to somebody else because they are, like, very closely connected with them. It's the same intensity of feeling, but from two different kind of, like, origin sources. Right. Yeah. And I get a more red-aligned one from Harley Quinn as opposed to a green-aligned one. Right. Yeah. I, I, Despite like, the, like, super red. she actually yeah. has hyenas. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely true. Um, so, great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, you know, uh, we may have set the record for longest podcast. I'm not quite sure yet, but I, I depends how long we go with this last question. Um, but uh, where I want to kind of wrap... Let me actually first just say, like, is there any other closing thoughts you guys have about, like, the color pie and characters or kind of last things that we haven't really gotten to say that you've been burning to say? Uh, no, I just, I want to reiterate that, like, again, very, very rarely do I think anyone is monocolored. Mm -hmm. And especially if we're talking about, like, a real life person, it's nigh on impossible. Um, so if you're feeling like, oh, I don't think I get a color or something, like, no, 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 like. It's it's because people don't work like that. Like, the people we're talking about are fictional. There's a reason they can sometimes fit very neatly into a slice of this pie. Yeah, right. Like, because they're... people aren't supposed to do that, but fictional people can. Right. Th- these are characters that are designed to be archetypes and designed to be lenses through which we interpret what's going on in a, in a story. They're not designed to be necessarily complex, nuanced... Uh, a lot of the time, right? There, there definitely are com- super complex, nuanced characters out there, but a lot of these... Captain America is not designed to be a fully realized person, right? right. No. Yeah. Like, I, you also notice that, like, the mo- honestly, the more colors a character is, the more relatable they are, because the more, like, a person they are. Um, the more that colors you can be like, oh, yeah, that person is every color but blank, or whatever, right? Like, that makes them more relatable as a person because it makes them more akin to real life because real life people can have tendencies, but everybody is all five colors. Right. It's just some colors are very bright. Yeah. And I think it's one thing I think that is one of the reasons why I, I love this podcast. I love the pod. That sounds very like self-arrogant. <laughs> one of the reasons why I love the idea this podcast is trying to explore is that I think we've seen something very interesting happen in media particularly with um, superheroes and and sort of comic book characters, which is that for a lot of these characters, especially the ones that date to the 50s or 40s or even the 30s, I mean, they were written as very two-dimensional. And they probably were, like, original Superman would be just pure white, you know? Like, original Batman, the detective comic, would be pure blue in some way. Well, maybe not him, but, like... Oh, well... I can can buy that. Well, yeah, but, but the point being that I feel like one of the things that the... The MCU, and to some extent, the I think certainly things like Daredevil and the Batman animated series and things like that is, a lot of these movies and shows have been about, let's take the two-dimensional character from 40 years ago and really push the complexity, you know? Let's take the Boy Scout Captain America character and see what happens when he realizes that the law and order he thinks he believes in is actually a lot more flawed. Let's take the... the go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think there's also something to be said about not necessarily they were 2D characters. I think that we're not also not looking at them from the same perspective in which they were intended to be viewed, right? Just because we can't see the three dimensions there doesn't mean it didn't exist. Like, So a lot of things like nuance and context or things that we would think are really strange um, 
or important or something like that are just very different than the eyeballs that, you know, originally read that, yeah. right? So, like, for example, um, one of my partners and I had just been rereading um, X-Men, right? Like, the original X-Men. Right. And original X-Men, like, a big theme in X-Men is racism, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. a big deal. Like, a big deal. It's the whole point. But even reading that X-Men comic where, like, the whole point is it's, like, hyper-progressive, like, fighting for civil rights. Like, that's the whole point of the comic. It's still super racist. Like, oh my god, yeah. racist. Well, like. Yeah, and I think that. And that's not what it was supposed to be. And they were doing, I'm assuming they were doing their best for the time period. But, like, that's still. So you're, when you're talking about characters and, like, they're often when you're looking back, the farther you go back, um, the more skewed that picture is that we're getting. So we may only be seeing two colors, but that doesn't mean that somebody back then didn't see more colors than we're seeing now. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think I, I set the date of when this complexity started to, to come in way too late because I think to me um, the X-Men is really when we're breaking away from the kind of comic code idea of like heroes have to be good, villains have to be bad and getting into more of that complexity. But I also think that that's a very good point that like, you know, all the stuff that I say about Professor X seeming kind of villainous to me, I think until fairly recently, that was never the intention of the author. <laughs> like that's just more like the, the reading back into it. Um, and you're right, seeing it both in the context as well as how we see it today becomes very important. Right. I, I would also that it's argue a argue is also a byproduct of writing has gotten more fictional writing has gotten better internal structure and technology as time has gone on. Yeah. Um, there's very, very few pieces from, you know, 1920 that when you read them now are going to be as relatable, easy to read that will connect you as well with characters. Right. Right. Um, right. And that's just writers have gotten better at understanding how to write as an aggregate group, right? And um, I think it's also the the feature of um, I think especially with movies and TV show the fact that it is now so easy to go back and watch things and not to miss an episode. I think also just like allows for much much richer character development in a way that you couldn't do when you sort of had to think one person might only see one episode or one movie or something like that, right? Every, um, every episode is the first introduction for somebody, right. which is a, a concept that we don't have on a lot of shows nowadays. Yeah. So right. let, me, let me thank you guys so much for being a part of this. And I want to close by um, asking us each, like, how do you identify? Um, if you don't mind self-disclosing. I know for, uh, for myself, um, I think of myself very much as is it, uh, and which is the, the combination of red and blue. And it's because for me, um, a lot... One of the things that I, I, we've kind of touched on is that the way that the colors, colors can balance each other out. And I know my own life has really been a story of, you know, being a very passionate person at times and then really sort of seeing like, you know, hurting myself or hurting people by going way too into passion and then trying to become very Vulcan-like and trying to really become like, no, I would just be logical. I would just be be rigid. And a lot of sort of like my life journey has been about coming to a place of balance between the two and finding finding where the peace is between the two. Um, and I think I definitely there's definitely some green aspects in there as well with my love of, of, of cooking for folks and community and stuff. Um, but that's kind of where I most see myself. Um, what about for you all? How, how would you identify? Uh, you want to go, Meg? Sure. Um, so, uh, again, surprising. <laughs> no one who knows me. Um, I, uh, I self-identify actually as Grixis in magic, what is known as Grixis, which is blue, black, uh, blue, black, and red. Um, so the black and the red are, are the 
very much the strongest parts there, red being the most predominant color in me. I'm very passionate about everything that I do. I can't help it. It's part of who I am. I'm much better at channeling it in healthy ways than I used to be. I think Rob can attest to quite a bit of that, actually. Um, and it's just, that's a big aspect of who I am. Uh, the black is another big aspect of who I am, because I will be honest, I'm very ambitious. I want to be in charge. I do think that I would be good at it, and I do think that I would be better at it than most other people. I might be wrong, but that's okay. That's still how I feel. Um... I'm also very much um, self-focused, not necessarily in a self-care way, because, whoo-hoo, buddy, am I bad at that? <laughs> but um, in a, like, introspective kind of, I'm constantly looking inward to try and analyze and see if the way I'm thinking about something is wrong, and that's that's what's wrong here. And that leads me into what is very blue about my nature, because um, there is definitely a streak of blue in there. Which is, I like figuring out puzzles, Mm. and I like having a set of rules and logic to something, not necessarily in a white kind of way, but in a, like, laws of physics, laws of, like, this is how this works, this is the rules of how these type of equations work, like, this is how the rules of this social interaction work, um, type of way. Uh, And I also like figuring out just kind of, like, logistical puzzles, and I am... Someone who very much values intelligence Mm. in many ways. Uh, But in everything, uh, a lot of people, and like I was saying about green earlier, a lot of people think that I have a lot of green in my nature uh, because I very much care about other people. Um, But that's very much a manifestation of how red I actually am because it's me just very intensely caring about someone else. And I'll be honest with you, it's fucking exhausting. Yeah. I can see that. The, the lack of self-care you mentioned there plays in. Uh, Rob, what about for yourself? Uh, so I am, the, I am like semi-opposite of Meg, like hilariously. <laughs> I am green-white with a with a bit of blue. Um, I am I'm Selesnia or Bant uh, for magic terms. I I organize things. I organize communities. I want there to be some kind of coherent structure to whatever the hell I'm doing that's very white um and I also at the same time just kind of let people do what they do Mm -hmm. right that's my I I want to I want to get people to the point where they're the most themselves right and I like watching the watching the marvel movies the characters that i that i actually personally identify most with would probably be captain america and in some ways thanos he's a nut job <laughs> but he, uh, he we literally voted that you would be like the most likely to be like oh yep this is for the greater good and then just start like yeah. going after like <laughs> right <people>. <laughs> right <laughs> and so like i'm i'm blue in the aspect of like i i read a ton of stuff i taken a bunch of information i like i like data i like knowledge but it's it's all about group and organization and being a part of something bigger a lot of the time for me and uh that's it's just where i've gravitated over time i definitely like i definitely have changed over my life that's the other thing about colors and people is you change over time right um i 
How many times were you suspended when you were in middle and high school, Meg? Never. Uh, I... Ten? <laughs> I will say, of the three Which of us... Which is not what you would think, right? You would think that would be the inverse, right? right? Now, of the three I of us, Rob, of I would not put my money on you having the most. For me, it's three. Um. <laughs> I, I definitely... I got in a lot of fights... Um, I wasn't very good at fighting. But <laughs> there was man, a lot more was, blue than red in me then. Yeah, <laughs> it was real easy to push my buttons as a kid. <laughs> I could see um, that. I I once got in a fight while I was in the office waiting to see the principal for having gotten in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> that that is next level. I I bow in respect to you. That. <laughs> uh, so like Rob is legitimately one of the only people on this planet who I think can sit there and be more entertaining to listen to with stories than i am uh-huh. i i have a lot of a lot of stories like i love like the bees in the meat tube oh man <laughs> the bees but tangent, it, tangent alert. i i just want to leave that as the as the final thing is if you if you look into the magic color by philosophies and say yeah i am currently white green and then you look back at yourself when you were 14 and you go like wow i was mono red that's normal yeah <laughs> right uh, people change and shift over time. People align up to different things. People, people are people. Uh, there's a like nothing is static, which is a very a very green philosophy. Actually, everything grows and changes over time, and don't don't box it in. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. Well, all three of you, thank you all so much. This has been um, such a great conversation, um, and. Uh, I think we're actually probably going to break this up into two different conversations because we're now at the um, almost three-hour mark. Um, but uh, so I'll say to those... I've been alone in my house for like <laughs> weeks. You don't even understand. You know, I need more guest hosts, so we'll we'll get you back on pretty soon, I promise. You know what? Dude, I started giving rogue judge conference presentations. <laughs> That's a thing that happened. Uh, you and I are going to start watching the uh, Harley TV show, and then we're going to do a podcast about it in a couple months. Um, I. <laughs> you you started giving rogue jug conference presentations. I organized like an online two nights a week commander night where I'm scheduling people <laughs> to give you an idea of our different polls of this. Yeah, where I'm just the disorganized guy who keeps trying to like I've done a couple commander nights with friends. I've done a couple of these things. Like I'm all over it too. Anyway, um, I just got drunk at like nine o'clock in the morning because that's when it was like eight o'clock at night in poland so like i was drinking with people in switzerland and stuff but mm-hmm. i was like whatever yeah. yolo and then i gave a judge conference presentation and it was there was a lot of memes love it love it anyway uh to our fans uh thank you so much for uh sticking with us and listening uh would love to hear your thoughts um if you're a magic fan would love to hear more about how you think about the color pie and see it if you um whether you love it or have no idea what we were talking about before this episode i hope we give you a good sense um what do you think of where we put the characters? How would you disagree or agree? Um, what are other characters? I would say either if you want to tell us your thoughts on a character or if you just want to post on um, uh, when this goes up, there will be a link uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, and I'll say throw out a character and then I will encourage um, definitely me and if the two of you have time on social media, we'll discuss where that character is. have nothing fits. but time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we'll, have, <laughs> we'll be okay with that. Um, so, yeah, you can find us on social media, um, on Facebook, on Twitter. On, uh, we're both, at both of those, we are Superhero Ethics. You can also email us, superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, this podcast is part of a uh, four uh, – sorry, say that again. 
This podcast is part of a larger podcast network called the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, uh, where you can find all sorts of great content where that really goes deep on specific uh, topics. I have a podcast specifically on um, uh, Star Wars. There's other podcasts specifically on the Marvel Universe content, DC content, Star Trek. Um, there's a new podcast that by the time this launches will have gotten started a couple of weeks ago called um, 4M, uh, Monday Morning Movie Medics. It's basically all about taking a movie and saying like, okay, h- how could we have fixed it? What could, what, what's the core of a good movie in here that we could have made better? Um, I'm looking forward to having uh, a lot of thoughts on Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith on that at some point. Uh, but even, that's in a while. But right now it's a great podcast. Definitely suggest checking it out. Um, so that's how you can follow more about superhero ethics. Um, Robin Mank, if folks want to learn more about you and, and what you're up to and, and find your writings and thoughts and memes, where can they find that? Uh, my name on everything all the time is MB Geek Girl. At whatever the given thing is, I stream sometimes. If you want to come listen to me rant about random judge concept thingies, you can find me at uh, mbgeekgirl.stream. I stream sometimes. Awesome. Awesome. And Rob? I, I mostly don't do a lot of the big public social media. I probably should. But, like, <laughs> Twitter isn't actively live for me and. I make a Facebook post a month now or something. I read it, but I don't, uh, like... Did you see the picture I tagged you in with the face of you at Buca de Beppo? Probably. (laughs) I don't know. With the crazy eyes and the meatball? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Again, I'm going to push to wrap this up so our poor listeners can get home. Uh, Get home, can turn this off. But anyway, thank you guys both. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm really glad we got to do this. Um, thank you to all of our listeners for sticking around and, and hearing us out and would love to hear your thoughts write those in uh, and everyone have a great day